Sportsnet tonight. Sportsnet Pod 90 The Fan. George Russick, show Ali here for the next four hours of what we hope is your listening pleasure. Busy, busy, busy show. In about 30 minutes, the co-host of Leafs Nation pre- and post-game on Sportsnet 590, the fan Brent Gunning, will join us. Tori Gurley, former NFL wide receiver and FS1 analyst at 8 o'clock. Tee up this beauty of a Thursday nighter between the Packers and the Cardinals, although there's some injuries and some COVID issues that's taking the shine away from this blockbuster matchup in the NFL. Michael Bauman, Major League Baseball writer for The Ringer, will join us at 8.30. Sean Woodley, host of the Locked On Raptors podcast, will join us. Andy McNamara, co-host of the Fantasy Show on Sportsnet 590. The fan Get his take on uh, the fantasy aspect of the NFL heading into Week 8. And we'll play some Dragon's Breath with Andy as well. David Alter, Maple Leafs reporter for the Hockey News at 10 o'clock show. We have a busy, busy, busy show. Maple Leafs picked up an overtime win last night in Chicago over the Blackhawks. William Nylander with a very, very slick move. And a lot's being made about Austin Matthews getting passionate on the bench and yelling at his teammates. Uh, show, it's about Tam time. Uh, the fans saw some emotion from this team. Yeah, I feel like the last time we we uh, talked about emotion from Austin Matthews was when he was getting, uh, I guess he was getting like, what, ragdolled in the, in the first round against the Habs of the playoffs last year. And and I guess everyone liked that, and then it kind of disappeared, right? And, 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 you know, we all know how the playoff series ended last year, but... I just I I am uh, I am I am cautiously optimistic about seeing more emotion from the top stars. But again, a, a an overtime win against one of the worst teams in the NHL, a team that I don't think coming into last night, I believe the Blackhawks had not held a lead at any point yeah. this season. And of course, they went what two nothing in the first period. So again, like there certainly there are some more concerning aspects of the Leafs overall play. Yeah, absolutely. 100%. You still want to see Mitch Marner get going more considering people like to use the term offensive engine when it comes to Mitch Marner. But at the same time, you, you kind of led things off by talking about Willie Nylander. Boy, George Nylander looks like he is essentially picked up where he left off uh, yeah. in the playoffs from last year. Uh, I, it puts a smile on my face thinking about the attitude Austin Matthews had and maybe some of Leafs Nation in game one against the Habs when he was smiling behind the net when Ben Sherratt was grabbing him like, oh, this is dumb. What are you doing? And then when Ben Sherratt was punching him in the face in game six, he kind of fought back and didn't have that cavalier attitude being grabbed from behind. It's funny how things flipped within five games within a series when you're fighting for your playoff life. But yeah, you, you want to see some emotion from this top line and yeah, you had to beat the Chicago Blackhawks last night. And Matt Marchese and I had a show on the weekend um, show. And to me, it's just, and, and I see it on the ice. I just see residual effects from that playoff collapse. And we keep hearing about, it uh, doesn't look like this team cares. It's a listless effort. I get all of that. I just think it's just, Look at Mitch Marner. You know he's fighting it right now. He's gripping the stick, although I thought he played a very good game last night. Didn't score, and that big monkey on his back to break that uh, goalless drought is on everyone's mind. But I just feel like there is a residual effect from that playoff loss, and I don't know how they snap out of it. Show, I, I uh, eventually they will if they get hot and move on here. But I know it's so early into the season, but I feel like there's a hangover there that's a really bad hangover. 
Yeah, when it comes to the, when it comes to the Toronto Maple Leafs and specifically Mitch Marner, I think I, I, I sometimes I get the sense, George, and I don't know if you feel this way too, but specifically for Marner, I feel like he feels the weight of all of the criticism and all of the poor play and and so on more than more than the other stars, right? Like John Tavares certainly does; he's the captain and he's an older guy. But at the same time, Tavares has been through the NHL for you know however, however many years he's been it for a long time. He was in the world of hockey for even longer before that as all of these guys are but Tavares I think is in a, on on a different he's he's viewed differently because you know when he came to Toronto he the the, the much ballyhooed you know he took less money to come here he left money on the table from what I was uh, what I believe was the Sharks and now he's a Toronto Maple Leaf, the pajamas, all that stuff. And, and Mitch Martin, Austin Matthews is American, so I think it affects him slightly differently. Nylander as well, grew up in Europe, right? Um, I know he was born in, in, I believe it was Calgary or in some, somewhere in the Midwest, but still he, he kind of identifies as a, as a European player. And, and Mitch Marner, you know, born and raised in Toronto and, you know, he went through the contentious kind of negotiation with the team via the media for his salary. And, and here he is struggling. And I just sometimes I can't help but think that he is wearing that or feeling it weigh on him more than any other star player yep. does probably. And at least you know he cares, right? Like, you know that's wearing on him because he knows what it means to put on the sweater of the Toronto Maple Leafs. And he is, uh, to me, he's public enemy number one here yeah. with Leafs Nation, which is a bit unfair because uh, why not point the finger at Austin Matthews for that first-round series? He scored one goal. The guy who won the Rocket Richard Trophy scored one goal in seven games against what was an inferior opponent. And I get it. Like, the, the injury to John Tavares... The injury to Jake Muzzin were big factors on why the Leafs lost, but they blew a 3-1 lead, and Austin Matthews scored one goal. Yeah, yeah, Mitch had none, but Austin Matthews had one goal. And I don't... So I keep hammering down this point, and I don't know why I hear it a lot on our radio station and a lot of Toronto media, because maybe I'm not a fan of the team. Maybe I see things differently, and okay. it's not that... I, I kind of consider myself a realist, and people go, you're just a dumb Habs fan. Nobody has, <laughs> has viscerated the Habs more than I have. When I just, I just kind of see what I see, and I trust my hockey eye watching it my entire life. And what I see on the Maple Leafs, nothing's changed to me. This roster is flawed. It is so deeply, deeply flawed that it's not built to win in the Stanley Cup playoffs. Because if I look at it right now, you can tell me all you want about regular season success because that's meaningless because this team hasn't won a playoff round since 04. You just look at this roster, show. They don't have a number one defenseman. They don't have a true number one defenseman. They don't have a true number one goaltender. And please don't tell me Jack Campbell's a real number one. He, he might turn out to be a real number one, but... He faded down the stretch in that series against the Habs, too. You can't let that Gallagher goal in in Game 7. You just can't. That shades of Freddie Anderson in Game 7s. Oh, by the way, uh, show, they don't have a bottom six forwards. There's no depth on the forward line. Yeah, tell me Jason Spezza all day. That's great. Jason Spezza's been really nice. But if you're if you're relying on Jason Spezza on the fourth line, you have bigger issues. And they don't have a shutdown line. They don't have a line where they can put up against the other team's best forwards and shut them down because that matchup to have Austin Matthews against the team's other best center hasn't worked in the playoffs. And Sheldon Keefe, with no adjustments in that series against the Habs, did not get Austin Matthews away from Philip Deneau. And he got shut down completely by Philip Deneau and the Habs. 
That's what I see on this roster. You don't have a bottom six. You don't have a number one D. You don't have a number one goaltender. I don't care what Mitch Marner does. The roster is flawed. And until you trade one of those big four pieces to spread out a little bit more depth in this roster, you're not going anywhere. And of course, it's impossible to find a number one defenseman out there unless you draft and develop them or somehow spend an incredible amount of money to bring them into this city. But... You can't win a Stanley Cup without those pieces. And the Leafs just don't have that on this roster. I, To me, it's very simple. Am, am I the only one who sees this? Like, I've talked about this since the exit to the Habs. Like, I don't get why everyone makes excuses for the general manager and this team. You, you've had a chance to look at this core for how many years. It's flawed. The roster is flawed. That's why you're not getting results. To me, it's simple, show. So, George, let me ask you this then. If if this season continues the way it's been going and you look at the top four, Matthews, Tavares, Marner, Nylander, in, in whatever order you want to put them in, Matthews being the number sure. one guy, right? But, uh, you know, whatever order you want to put them in, let's just say for the sake of this conversation, no one, none of those four, at least this season, is getting traded. They decide to, to stick with them right. at least going th- through the offseason, right? And, and like you say, I do, I do agree with you that this roster is probably at its – fundamental core probably flawed because of the way they have to navigate the contracts and surround them with other contracts and basically hope that other players play to the level that Jason Spezza has been playing this year, right? So if that's the case, how do you fix this before the trade deadline? Can, is that even possible? Maybe that's a better way of saying. I don't think, I don't think you can fix it within season, right? And in a team with the Maple Leafs salary cap issues, you know how you supplement your roster with good young talent? First-round picks. Well, the Leafs are trading away their first-round picks, desperately trying to win a Stanley Cup. So you're kind of spinning your wheels here. I think we all liked uh, the Felino deal until he got hurt, mm-hmm. right? That blew up in their face. They had to trade a first, which they ultimately got back, but they had to trade a first to get rid of Patrick Marlowe. Like, I, I get all of these things, but until you trade, because the team is so top-heavy, until you trade one of those guys, you're not going to be able to spread out the cap around the team. And it's not, I don't want to say it isn't completely Kyle Dubas and the management's fault, because we all thought the salary cap was going to go up. Sure, Nobody saw COVID coming and what it would do to the NHL and freeze the salary cap where it's at. Because it should have been a few more million dollars towards the cap, which the Leafs could have filled with better spots. But let me ask you this question, too, Show. Uh, you mentioned the name John Tavares. Mm-hmm. Is that a good contract now? Ugh. I mean, this is, it was do all... You think, do you think if you gave Kyle Dubas a truth serum shot, like in True Lies, starting, starting Arnold Schwarzenegger <laughs> and Jamie Lee Curtis, where he admits to her that he's killed people, but they're all bad. If you could give Kyle Dubas... Well, that's a dated reference. If you could give Kyle Dubas the truth serum on that island in Florida... Would he do the John Tavares deal again? I think he would. I think he would. I th- I, I do think he would because, in in my opinion, I, I think maybe the I think maybe he, if you give him the truth serum, would he take a firmer stance on the Matthews or Marner deal? Like maybe getting another year out of Matthews or paying Marner a one and a half million dollars less, whatever whatever number you want to fall on for him. I think that is what I think he would admit to with the truth serum. I don't think you do anything differently with William Nylander. but with John Tavares, I I think he I think that goes down the exact same way, if only because. I almost feel like the Tavares deciding to come here, it like, I, with, I don't know, you can't really quantify this, but I, I kind of feel like it lent some, even though it hasn't paid off, and I totally understand that thus far, 
But it does feel like it kind of lent some legitimacy to this team to have, you know, in the first time in what felt like forever, an actual major free agent leave a team to come play for the Leafs instead of having to draft guys like Matthews, Nylander, and uh, and Marner, if that makes sense. Sure, and that was the move that was supposed to take the Leafs over the top, and everyone was super excited when it happened. I I was down at training camp here in Niagara Falls the first time John Tavares was on the ice. There was a buzz down at the Gale Center here in the Falls when John Tavares was there for training camp. But uh, has he been? And his best season as a pro was a couple years ago playing with Mitch Marner, right? Like It's not like John Tavares at this point of his career is going to skate faster, show. Right, skating's always been an issue with him, and I'm not saying he's not a great leader, and he's still not an elite player. John Tavares is on the bubble of still making Team Canada, like he's still a very good player. I'm just asking you about the contract because 11 million dollars for where John Tavares is at right now is overpaid. I'm sorry, it is. It's a young man's league now in the NHL, and you're right about the deals that Marner and Matthew signed. There's no way those shouldn't have been eight year deals. Yeah. The fact that you only sign your best player, arguably the greatest player who's ever played for the Toronto Maple Leafs, Austin Matthews, for five years was a mistake. But I don't know why we can't look at that contract and say, uh, it's not a good one because it's eating up a lot of the cap. And again, it's not their fault. When they signed John Tavares, they all anticipated. I get it. They have Brandon Pridham in the front office who literally helped write the salary cap. They go, you know, we'll be fine at the back end of this deal because the salary cap will be going up because it's going up every year. But that's not the case now. Like if you have after this season, you have three years left of John Tavares at eleven million dollars. Do you think he he remains a Leaf through the end of those three years? Yeah, how can you trade that contract? Who's going to want him? Yeah. Like honestly, like you you if you can tell me that's not a bad deal, tell me a team that's going to take on that contract right now. No, it's it, your problem. Barring do, them doing what uh, what other teams have done, and and you know, I don't I'm not saying other teams have concocted injuries, but like you know burying the guy on long-term injured reserve and with all the shenanigans that come with that right. like the, the, the like the lightning have done and so on but i yeah he's he's either gonna you're either gonna have to trade i mean we just talked about patrick marlowe and deal, dumping a pick to get rid of the marlowe deal i can't even imagine what it would cost to dump and, to other teams if you if you don't want to carry that deal going forward and 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 you look at his base salary it's nine hundred and ten thousand dollars this season but he gets paid out july 1st he got 8.44 million dollars and he's set to make seven million next July first, seven million the following, and then seven million in twenty four, with a base salary of nine hundred and ten grand. Like he still he still owed a ton of money, although the cap hit is eleven million dollars. And I'm not blaming John Tavares. I'm just saying that contract with some of the other contracts on this team have handcuffed the Maple Leafs. Because you don't have that flexibility. Like, do you think this team would be in a better spot if they had Nazem Kadri at six million as the second line center and an extra five million to spread around this Oof. roster? Boy, I I would love to say yes because truly Nazem Kadri was one of my favorite players. Just watch, just over sure. his tenure and, here, I would love to say yes. But just the the suspensions that that inexcusable, it. yeah, it tarnished it for me. Yeah, it, inexcusable knuckleheadedness. I'm just saying, if you don't think, and I can't wait to ask Brent Gunning this, and we'll ask David Alter this later on too. What team would be trading for that contract right now? Name, name me a team that would be like, yeah, I'll take on the eleven million to John Tavares. The Kraken. It would have to be like the Kraken, and they'd hope they'd not, you know, not compete towards the leadership. Like yeah, 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 something like that. But again, I, I get John Tavares has been a solid Maple Leaf. He's been a good producer, right? Just he's he's overpaid at this point of his career, and it's a bad deal, and it's not going to get any prettier. It's just not. No. 
That like we we need to be realistic on what's going on with this Maple Leafs team. Cuz everyone's all worried about like are they a legitimate even Stanley Cup contender? Can you look at this roster top to bottom and go this is a legitimate Stanley Cup contender? Like what what are they trying to accomplish here? The goal was to completely bottom out and win a championship, right? And that and that was what we thought they were doing when they won the lottery and absolutely hit the grand slam with Austin Matthews. Boom. You drafted Mitch Marner. Boom. You drafted William Nylander. Another hit. Incredible. You coupled that with the Morgan Riley draft pick. Boom. You have this good young core of players that will be challenging for a Stanley Cup. Like, it feels like this team's even further away since John Tavares is signed. And I've asked the question to people who cover this team all the time, show. I think even with you, is this the worst roster they've had since John Tavares joined the Maple Leafs? I think it is. It certainly and I hear, no, it's probably one of the best ones. Really? Well, you asked me that question, George. I think it was it was like the, the day after the opening game of the season, I think. And we and, and a lot of people said, Oh, this might be the most talented. It might be the it might be the least exciting but most talented roster in the John Tavares era. And now that we're what? I, what, seven games into the season or eight games into the season? Uh yeah, I think my I think some the tune of answers probably has changed now that they're what, three, four, and one and have seven points to I don't know, like the Panthers fourteen points. Like, you know what? One thing you and I have talked about, the the real issue with this team and and it, it certainly is tied into contract stuff, is simply that the, the Maple Leafs have the, the salary cap contract problems of a Stanley Cup juggernaut yeah. without, without the Stanley Cup, essentially. Like the, no, like you're the right. Kings and the, and the Blackhawks and all those kinds of teams that won all those Stanley Cups between yes. essentially 2008 and now. Like, I, 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 I don't know. I don't, I don't like to be overly negative because I think there's still room to grow with this team. Austin Matthews can get better. Mitch Marner can get better. William Nylander is really starting to blossom. And it's funny how all that William Nylander hate with his contract is kind of starting to float away. And I even said this at the time when the deal was signed, that's going to be a good contract. The William Nylander deal is a good contract. Paying a guy less than $7 million who could potentially get you 35 goals, that's solid value in the NHL. Is Mitch Marner living up to his contract right now? No. But if you look at his numbers from last season, when he's top five in the NHL in scoring, guess what that's going to cost you per year, show? $10 million. Like, it's very rare where you see guys like Nathan McKinnon on a bad deal uh, helping you out. And a lot of Leaf fans are, well, maybe you should have taken less money. Come on, put yourself in that situation, right? I don't care if it's for an extra five, six hundred grand. We're all going to go after that cake, that cheddar. Yeah. And if you're his representation, if you're his parents, you'd all want your son to make that extra money. It's just the way it is, right? And I just, I don't know what, 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 uh, like our colleagues are watching. Like I, I watch this Leafs team, and yeah, there, there's some really high end talent on this team, but are they deep enough to legitimately win a Stanley Cup? Like what's what's the end? What's the goal here, right? Yeah. Unless you make some sort of shakeup to 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 kind of fill some whole big holes on this roster, you're in trouble. Like look at that pairing of Muzzin and Hall last night. Justin Hall was a guy who was kind of looked at to be a five to six, maybe a seven on your team, and now he's he's he is tasked with being a shutdown guy now in the NHL. And maybe it's catching up on with him a little bit because Muzzin's been dealing with a ton of injuries and a bit of age now because they've been getting exposed. Yeah. Maybe it's time to mix those two up. Maybe put Brody with Muzzin and let's try Hall and Riley together. Let's mix that up. Sure. But you don't have a number one horse on this team that you can rely on.
Well, I feel I'm not like... saying Victor Hedmans are floating around everywhere, no, but no. just look at all the past Stanley Cup champions. They all have that horse they can rely on. And please don't give me the Pittsburgh Penguins example when they had two <laughs> two franchise two generational talents down the middle who were playing phenomenal and got a ton from a very very deep cast up front of role players because that's what they had too. And every Stanley Cup champion has a deep deep roster of role players. Look at that Tampa Bay Lightning third line the last couple seasons. Incredible. You need that extra depth up front to win. It's very hard to make those moves to acquire all of those pieces. I get all of that. The Leafs don't have that on this team. So, George, we get, we just got a text, and, and of course, you can text us at 590-590 about the Leafs, anything we talk about between now and 11 p.m. Eastern. But Joe, New Market, okay, George, he just texted in to say, uh, good evening, the biggest mistake the Leafs made was letting Lula Moriello and Mark Hunter go. Tavares would have never been here otherwise. Do you agree with that? I, you, you can see the job Lou's done with the Islanders, right? But how much, how much credit do you give to Lula Moriello for his job with the Islanders? Because given that a lot of the deals and contracts they made there, I think I, I want to say outside of like the Pajot deal and I think the Barzal Bridge deal were already in place when he got there. Yeah, and... I think Lou gets Lou helped change shape the organization because let's not forget it was a bit of a tire fire here. Yeah, where he took over and kind of righted the ship. But we know Kyle Dubis was the guy who was in line to take this job the whole time. And again, I think Kyle Dubis in stretches has done really nice, smart moves. It's just when your team is built up with the way it is, it's just flawed. And no roster is perfect in a salary cap league. Look at the NFL. I don't care what team it is. There's no such thing as perfect rosters in a salary cap, a hard cap league. It's just to win in the Stanley Cup playoffs, you need those things I talked about first and foremost. Do the Leafs have the biggest piece that's probably the hardest to acquire? A true number one superstar center? Absolutely in Austin Matthews. But then where's the number one defenseman? Where's the number one goaltender? Where's the shutdown line? They don't have that on this team. Like, is is it going to take trading one of those guys to acquire a blockbuster blue liner? It might. Do you have to do that? Do you go out and make that move? Yeah. Are you willing to do that move? Like, they're just spinning the wheels here. Like, the, do 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 you do you watch these Leaf games and honestly think this is a team that can have a deep run in the Stanley Cup playoffs when they're struggling to beat a team that hasn't even had a lead this season? Yeah, look, I, I feel like, George, I have held my breath for more more than I have not whenever I watch the uh, the puck in the in the Leaf zone. And that's that's not a good sign, right? Like, you would expect a team that was supposed to have... I mean, it's, again, as what, eight games into the season, I guess the, there's still time for thing, things to be turned around. But I don't know. I think every time you see a performance like you saw in Pittsburgh against San Jose at home, in Chicago against the Blackhawks, like you said, a team that hadn't had a lead going into last night the entire year. I don't know. It just it, it doesn't it doesn't look great. And you mentioned you mentioned Jake Muzzin and uh, and Justin Hall being the second pairing. I feel like Jake Muzzin, like you said, dealing with some injuries, also just yeah. generally speaking, getting older. I feel like he has helped to prop up Justin Hall for essentially the entire time they have been together. And now that he is dealing with those injuries and is showing his age a little more, Hall is getting exposed. So, I mean, maybe yeah. maybe Muzzin and Brody would be a decent pairing. I'm not convinced that Riley, and because of the way, the way Riley plays, I'm not yeah. convinced that Riley and Hall would be a terrific pairing because, boy, I feel like if you see it getting exposed with Muzzin, it might be even worse if Riley and Hall were together. 
you want you want a great example if you're a Leaf fan uh, to kind of, and I think that's a great example show. Uh, do you remember when the Leafs signed Mike Komisarek as a free right. agent right. on the blue line? You know who was propping him up in Montreal? Andre Markov. Yeah. And once he was separated from Andre Markov, guess what? He was exposed. And I know he dealt with injuries here in Toronto, but he wasn't the same guy he was playing with Andre Markov. Never was for the rest of his career. Like, these things happen. And... Jake Muzzin's been a very good soldier here for the Toronto Maple Leafs. There's another great move by Kyle Dubas. Jake Acquiring Jake Muzzin was a great, great trade. If Jake Muzzin is on your second pair, you're doing an incredible job. But he's on your shutdown pair. Jake Muzzin's a good defenseman. I'm not saying he isn't. But they don't have that number one horse guy here, show. When have they ever had that number one horse? Yeah, They never had anybody in this organization win a Norris Trophy. You just look at all the cup champions from the past. They all have somebody who's either been nominated or won the Norris Trophy. Who's the who's the closest to a number one defenseman the Leafs have had like in the in this millennium? You think? Well, two years ago, Morgan Riley was playing like a number I guess one. He was, I guess at the time he was. Look, and, and again, sometimes the Norris Trophy is just based on the scoring race, and I get all of that. But he was playing some very good hockey, and then he dealt with injuries, and it slowed him down. Has he been the same guy? No. But Morgan Riley is going to get paid this offseason as an unrestricted free agent. That number is going to start with an eight, how much he's going to make on the free on the open market. Look at the money that's being dished out to defensemen in the NHL now because they know they're at such a premium. The only way the Leafs acquire a frontline blue liner is via trade. And how do you do that? You're going to have to trade, break up this core, which Kyle Dubas has told guys on this team that he doesn't want to trade them. Well, what, what are we trying to accomplish here? Because yeah. I'm, not, I'm not saying like trade Marner right away, but if you can get... A front-end blue line piece for Mitch Marner? Because we all saw those whispers of Seth Jones for Mitch Marner. I'm not sure how good Seth Jones really is. Yeah. But do you go out there and make that deal? Again, I, I, I this isn't just crap on the Maple Leafs for the first 20 minutes. I'm just trying to have a real conversation. I'm just trying to decipher what people are seeing on this team. Because I don't see it. I, like you, have watched every minute of the Leafs playoff run with this core. Like, I... You think this year is going to be different? What's going to be different? This team's going to be tooth and nail to get into the playoffs, and you and I had this conversation about that. Yeah, well, It's the, going to be tough for them to make the playoffs just yeah. to get into the show. Yeah, look at the Lightning, the Panthers. Panthers 7-0 and this year, George. I mean, right. good God. Yes, the Lightning off to a slow start, but the Lightning literally don't care where they finish. They don't. No. They just want to slink into the playoffs, and good luck beating us in a seven-game series. That's essentially what they want to do. Again, like I... Maybe I'm completely off base here. Maybe I'm the only one on this radio station who's so far off and has no idea what he's watching. Fine. I I have no problem admitting I've wrong. I've had some horrendous takes as my time as a radio host, and I own all of them. That's fine. I just don't see it. I don't see it until there's a shakeup. And what that shakeup looks like, I'm not sure, but I gave you all the boxes the Leafs aren't checking of a Stanley Cup champion. All right, we'll talk to Brent Gunning's show about this straight at. He's the co-host of Leafs Nation pre- and post-game. He'll join us momentarily. Uh, we'll also talk about our poll question that's up at Russick SN590, at Ali590. Did I get your Twitter handle right? SNS Ali. Thank you. <laughs> SN Ali. Okay, we'll do that. It's Sportsnet tonight. That's show. I'm George. Sportsnet 590, the fan. Sportsnet 590, the fan. Thank you.
Don't do it to me. Sportsnet tonight. Sportsnet 590 The Fan. George Russick, Show Ali here. Trent Head will tee up that juicy, juicy Thursday nighter from the desert. Packers and Cardinals. Packers running a six-game winning streak. Cardinals a perfect 7-0. And show boss move by Aaron Rodgers wearing a toque into the stadium in the Arizona heat. A toque. <laughs> Aaron Rodgers looks like a character from Sons of Anarchy this season. I don't know what it is. <laughs> like he, like the, the hair, like with the facial yeah. hair and everything. Like he looks like one of the Jack's, uh, Jack's Teller's like best friends from Sons of Anarchy. My, uh, my favorite thing about the NFL season, and I always talk about it inside the lines, don't worry about week one. It's it's the one week where everything is burned into everyone's memory like it matters when teams have literally months to prepare for their opponent and they'll get their best shot. And it really means nothing in the grand scheme of things. What the Saints did to the Packers in week one, everyone's like, oh, Green Bay, Green Bay. And then they've rattled off six wins in a row. Sure, they could have lost a couple of those along the way, namely the one in Cincinnati in that field goal fest that was missed in overtime. But the Packers are rolling with Aaron Rodgers right there looking like the MVP of the league. All right. Um, Brent Gunning is the host of Leafs Nation pre and post game on Sportsnet 590. The band doing a terrific job alongside Gord Stalick. And he joins us here on Sportsnet tonight. Guns, how are you? Oh, a lot a lot better than I was before last night. How, how are you guys doing today? Uh, we're good. I didn't, I didn't mean the first 20 minutes or so of our show tonight just to be crap all over the Toronto Maple Leafs. I just, I need some help here because I don't, I don't get it. I don't understand why a lot of our colleagues uh, and some analysts are seeing with the Toronto Maple Leafs because I don't see it. All these issues that I saw during the playoffs continue to be here on this roster that weren't addressed. And every team that wins a Stanley Cup, you need a number one defenseman. You need a number one blue liner. You need a bottom six that can contribute. You need a shutdown line. This team has none of that, and it's flawed. And to look at this roster and think it could win a Stanley Cup, I just don't see it, Guns. And am I the only one who, who's, who's completely way off here? I just, to me, this doesn't look like a team that can win the Stanley Cup as it's currently constructed based on how it was constructed. Agree or disagree? Mm, par- partially agree. I agree with you up to the point where I believe any team that makes it into the playoffs is three to four bounces away from at least getting to the Stanley Cup final or a conference final. There are real okay. legit issues with this team. You you mentioned some of them in the construction, but I also think that what's not mentioned in that is, and we have not seen it for a second this year, so I don't, I don't want to say that this is a given for this team, but we believe there are players on this team that can play so far. Like, I believe Austin Matthews is not a first-line center. I believe he is a transcendent player. I believe when okay. Mish Marner is going at his best, he's not a first-line right winger. He is a transcendent talent in this league. And I think that when you have players like that, it can help alleviate some of the flaws. And, of course, always goaltending goes in hand with that. And I think that Jack Campbell, some of us are maybe a little too quick to anoint him, but you see flashes where you say, oh, yeah, Oh, I I can see that guy stealing a series. I can see that guy stealing a game. So I think the ingredients are there, but there are also it's also very fair to ask those questions you're asking. 
So, Gunnar, you know, you and I on the weekend, we talked about Mitch Marner. You mentioned him there. George and I did spend a decent chunk of time talking about Mitch Marner in the opening segment. And, you know, what the popular conversation, the popular topic of conversation, I guess, with, with Marner is that, like, you know, he he probably bears the, the, the pressure of being a Toronto Maple Leaf more than maybe any other player on this roster, including the other star players. And, again, that's something you and I have spoken about before. Uh, he, I thought he played better last night, maybe better than he had virtually all season. But still, what? do the leaves or can they do anything more to continually ease the pressure off of him or is that just something he has to figure out on his own the leafs need to just win games and the the mitch marner stuff for for lack of a better term will go away i've been clear i think that he cares more about being a toronto maple leaf than anybody on this team and 99 percent of the time that's a really good thing what you've mm-hmm. seen in last year's playoffs what you've seen at moments this season is the one percent where it's detrimental to you and i think that what the leafs can do to help mitch marner out and i agree with you that was his best game of the season last night although i, I do think he had a pretty strong solid game against the rangers the the one they lost in in OT but that was that was a really strong performance from him but what the team needs to do to help him out is win games and make it more quiet the the less noise that's around this team however many let's say there's a hundred decibels of noise I know that's not how it works but just bear with me here 95 of them go towards Mitch Marner Austin Matthews catches a little Dubas catches a little Keith catches a little Tavares but all the noise goes to Marner and it it sits on his shoulders and and you can see it and I think that what this team needs to do to quote-unquote make it easier on him is just play better and win games because if if there will be nitpicking about his play there will be comments about the contract none of that stuff is ever going to go away but in order to help alleviate the noise it's just win games like it's really just that simple do you think any team in the NHL would trade for John Tavares in that contract right now no i don't i think i think that there's a world where and I, I, I swear I am not trying to tie this to Chicago because I think everything that happened there the past few days is like kind of so beyond hockey that the idea of a leadership guy shouldn't matter. I think there's a world where a team sees him as the, the level, a credibility, if you will, in the last couple years of the deal. But right now for $11 bucks, unless there's a questionable-ish contract kind of going back the other way, no, I, I don't think so. I, hmm. think that, I think that he's a player who still provides value to you. You saw it last night with the backhand goal, but it's not $11 million. Do you think if we hit Kyle Dubas with some true serum, he would do that deal again? Uh, yes. Like, if we really? put him back... No, no, let, let me explain. Let me explain. If if the truth serum was, hey, Kyle, you got to get out of jail free card. It's uh, it's cap compliance buyout time. You can just rid your hands of this mistake right now. Or I don't want to say mistake because I'll, I'll explain in my answer here. He would, yes, let's get that contract off my hands. But there is no world where Lou Lamorello leaving... And the boy wonder, Kyle Dubas, and his first big move is Leafs GM says, no, no, thank you, John Tavares. I, no, I'm, you know what? We're good, actually. I, I don't want to do that. The, the, the knives would, if you think it's loud, if you think it's hot, if you think the criticism is here in this market now, 
I can only imagine what it would have sounded like if the report comes out after getting said no to by Stamkos and every other guy who's ever lived in this market of note saying, you know what, we're good, even though you want to take a, a haircut from what San Jose is offering you to play here. There's just no where, world where that happens. So right now, if he, there was a world where he could get out of it, I think he would like to. But it's yeah. just... It's a non-starter to think that in his first move as Leafs GM with the guy finally wanting to come home that you're yeah. going to say, no, thanks, I'm good. But but isn't that the problem sometimes with professional sports that we care about the aesthetics more than the actual value of the deal and the player? Like you say what you will about the New England Patriots and whether or not you're a Brady or Belichick guy, but Bill Belichick made some cutthroat moves and cut guys a year before they were ready to go to continue to win championships to build a team around Tom Brady. Am I a Tom Brady guy over Bill Belichick now? Yes, but he made those moves that a lot of surprised a lot of people and didn't have the heart behind them and didn't have the warm and fuzzies. Bringing John Tavares home was a warm and fuzzies move that the fans wanted to see. And look, we can actually sign a free agent, but wouldn't this team be better off if they had a guy like Nazem Kadri at five million as their second line center, and that other six million? Well, was spent the only otherwise? problem is he and wouldn't again, be there. What? No, right, because of the suspensions. But I also said this, and to me. Uh, I think Kyle Dubas gets a pass for this as well because none of us saw the salary cap freezing where it was. It should be three to five to six to even seven million dollars more with another expansion team coming in than where it is today because of COVID-19. I think out of all the teams in the league, this is screwed over the Maple Leafs the most probably. Not even close. There is no other team. And, and I'll just use this. I'll mention it, but I won't go on my big spiel. The salary cap is terrible for, for the sport. I know it helps the, the owners in their pockets, but it's terrible for, for fan interest and everything. I think the reason why the Tavares number, the contract, and the thing you mentioned about Belichick there, I think the difference is, and, you know, I'd have to, I'm trying to remember going back, you know, he's been ruthless. He's been cutthroat. But it's a lot easier to say, see you later, you know, Ty Law, Lawyer Malloy, Richard Seymour. When, you're, when you've got got three, four Super Bowl rings on your hands when you're making those moves, or even one or two with the Law and, and Malloy moves. It's a lot different to do that as a GM without the clout, because you know if Nazem Kadri is suspended sitting there, what's everybody saying? Well, you could add John Tavares. You know what John Tavares wouldn't do? He wouldn't miss the first round of a playoff series. I mean, I know it wasn't his fault, but that's exactly what, what happened here. So, And the last thing I'll say about the Tavares contract, that again, I think there's just no world where the GM says, no thanks. I do think there's a world where Austin Matthews isn't making what he's making. If Tavares isn't making 11, you know, you kind of set Matthews cap at 11 or whatever it is. Once Tavares signed the $11 million deal, Matthews number was never going to come underneath that. So that's the other issue. And I'm happy you brought up the flat cap because I don't like to mention it because a lot of times it comes across like I'm trying to make excuses for the guy, but it's a matter of fact, it it happened. Like the whole bank was on. And then the problem with it too, that yes, flat cap, but because all of the other deals have been affected since Barzal's bridge deal. It wouldn't be seven if if it weren't in a flat cap. It'd be more in the eight nine. Peterson wouldn't be at eight nine. He'd be at ten or or whatever it would be. Yep. So it's just all the other deals look better in comparison. So I, I'm happy you brought up the flat cap because people are tired of hearing me mention it. So Gunnar, when it comes to uh, contracts and and players on the on the horizon here who will probably need new ones, uh, certainly Morgan Riley is someone we're going to be talking about a lot. Uh, if he if he, let's just say he remains with this team. 
through to the end of the year? Because I'm sure we'll have the conversation about should should he or should he not be traded uh, this season. Let's just say he does. Does he remain a Toronto Maple Leaf next year, given what he is probably going to command on the open market? No. Like, I just, I, I don't see a world where his play falls off to a point where both you would want to keep him and it's enough to kind of keep the dollars at play. There just isn't the money to move around. You know, I was kind of asking the question last year of, well, should, should they have given Morgan Riley Jake Muzzin's money? Are we sure that's going to age so well? And, you know, it's, we're, we're eight, nine games into the season here, but I think that's becoming a more valid question. I just, I don't see a world where you can afford to, to fit him in. Is there, is there some, some world where, okay, the flat, the cap is going to be flat for at least two more years after this one. Maybe, maybe, maybe you can talk him into taking something to, to hit free agency at a better time when the cap's going to jump. Maybe, but probably not. If you're going to trade more, Morgan Riley, you had to trade him before Seth Jones got traded. That that was the time to do it. So I just I don't really see a world where you can fit it back in unless this is a a team that wins a couple of rounds and he feels like he's on the cusp of something and he takes a deal to kind of hit free agency at the perfect time one last time. But e- even that is a super hot pie in the sky scenario for me. Chatting with Brent Gunning here, uh, co-host of Leafs Nation pre and post game. Uh, with Gord Stelic. You know, I, I, want, I do want to ask you maybe a, maybe a little bit of a more positive note, Gunner. William Nylander, five OT goals now in his career, all with the Leafs. Um, I think he's, I mean, there's still a ways to go before he continues climbing up that uh, climbing up that list. But have we now officially moved off the uh, Nylander hate train, right? I know streaks will always happen and Marner's on a somewhat of a cold one, uh, but it does sort of feel like Nylander has moved above Marner in the, uh, I guess for lack of a better term, the pecking order in the order of the core four. There's no, there's no, there's no maybe. They just flat out switch spots. It's like the Spider-Man meme, but it's actually like Freaky Friday. It's like William Nylander, all we do is talk about how hard he works, how good his contract is, and how beloved he is by the market. And it's all the stuff we said about William Nylander after his contract is getting thrown on Mitch Marner right now. I mean, the thing about Nylander that, that jumps out to me, and, you know, they ended up not being that big because we all know how the playoff series has ended, but I can go back to Columbus. There were a couple times against Montreal. I'm pretty sure after John Tavares gets hurt the first Leaf goal after that is William Nylander like the guy scores big goals he of course like every player who scores a lot yeah he he, he gets the odd goal in a 5-2 game but it feels like more times than not and this is totally anecdotal but it just feels like all his goals really matter when he comes through, it's it's at a time that you need it to. So, I mean, Nylander's been incredible. And, you know, all the I, I think even the people who were the the most stringent, strident of, of Nylander haters and after everything that happened with the contract, even they've turned around now. Him making what he's making, you know, some people call it the best contract in the league. Eh, you know, Nathan McKinnon's is pretty good too. But, yeah. uh, but, but William Nylander's yeah. been incredible for the money he's making. Guns, is Justin Hall's struggles about Justin Hall or the fact that Jake Muzzin is probably beat up still? Yep, that's it. Uh, you know, the whole plan of having a guy like Jake Muzzin when he came in in the trade was you're going to be the babysitter. I don't know who you're going to babysit. It might be several somebodies, but you're going to be the adult in the room. You're going to be the adult on your blue line. Or you're going to be a, the adult on your D pair. And that's exactly what he's been to Justin Hall. You know, it's. I think I think Justin Hall was not the guy 
who deserved to, or who Mike Babcock felt deserved to sit for 50 games. He is not the guy who we thought was, you know, talking to best contracts in the league. There was a point in time there where you wondered just where Justin Hall's at three times two ranked on that because of how cost friendly it was and in the top four and playing shutdown minutes. But it's clear as day. He's a product of his partner. And that's not to say he's not an NHL guy. That's not to say he's incapable. I'm not saying any of that. But I am saying he's not a number four defenseman if his partner isn't a healthy and, you know, with it Jake Muzzin. And that's not what you see right now. Can I ask you another hot takey question? Because I love, I love asking it. hot takey questions. <laughs> Please lay it on me. At this point, have we seen enough from Sheldon Keefe to honestly say he's a better coach than Mike Babcock? I think the difference, I, better coach. I'm a big proponent of there is no, like, there is, I don't know that there's a best hockey coach in the world. I think there's a best hockey coach for a Team X. I think there's a best hockey coach for Team Y. Bruce, What Boudreau, if Barry Trotz was the coach of the Toronto Maple Leafs? You think they'd be in a better spot? <laughs> or John Tortorella. Well, okay, no, it's funny you mentioned it. that. Barry Trotz. <laughs> okay, Barry, Barry Trotz. I think there is definitely something to a lot of people have made the point of first-time GM, first-time head coach, probably not the best idea. Now, I'm a big fan of the GM. I'm a big fan of the head coach. But I can definitely see a world where a guy like Trotz, I think the thing that you're seeing with Keefe is at times it's looked like he's over his head. I don't know that it's quite that. But I think this is just a guy learning to manage still NHL personalities. And it's one thing to manage them when they're going well. It's another thing to manage them when one of them slumping. It's another animal completely when all of your stars are, are slumping at the exact same time. And I think the difference between a guy like Keefe and a guy like Babcock is Babcock's a bit of one note. He can shred on the guitar. He'll give you a wicked solo, but it's like, hey, could you play me a sweet ballad? No, I can't. I'm going to melt your face off with this solo. Mm -hmm. that's, that's his one move. And I think Sheldon Keefe is a guy who has a couple of different moves. You know, Barry Trotz is, he's, he's tough. He's not going to, he's not going to give in to the way he sees things going. And I think it is, especially with the way this season has started, I think it's a fair question to ask how the Leafs would have reacted to a coach like that. But I don't think it is from a lack of coaching talent on Sheldon Keefe's part. I think that's more or just about Barry Trotz being really, really good. What, what kind of music does Barry Trotz play, though? Well, Barry, Barry Trotz is like Icelandic death metal. Oh, okay. It's very loud and it's very aggressive, but it gets the job done. <laughs> All right. Like he literally like breaks like the strings on his guitar. Ingve Malstein style. <laughs> <laughs> it's the only like super hardcore uh, metal guy. I didn't even, I didn't even know if it's real and yeah, it sounds just, so No, it is. I you made it up. Okay. Right. No, I didn't make it up at all. If you say uh, you so. Know, my, my big giant Serbian head has a lot of useless facts in it. Uh, Guns, before I let you go, what's the funnest thing, and I did say funnest, mm. uh, thing about working with Gord Stelic? Oh, I mean, it's just like, he's just the best, right? Like, it's Gord Stelic. You feel like, especially when I'm down at the rink, it's like, you know, my first time being down there. I got don't, No offense. I got Sam McKee, you know, shepherding me around, and that's pretty good. He can get me places. People know who he is. But, like, when I'm walking in the you know, in the afterwave of Gord Stellick just like being a legend in, in the Leafs press box. It's incredible. Like the guy's the guy's a legend to do it. And uh yeah, I feel truly blessed to get to do it and we'll be down there tomorrow night, Leafs and Red Wings, in what will hopefully be a less testy crowd than it would have been if they lost that game uh, last night. Yeah, uh, it'll be very, very interesting. Brent Gunning, the host of Leafs Nation pre and post game on Sportsnet five ninety the fan. Guns, always a pleasure. Thanks for this, pal. It was fun. Thanks, boys. There he goes. Brent Gunning. Um, poll question up right now at Russick SN five ninety at SN at SN S L E. Your your you Twitter go. handle is a mouthful. At SN Those are my initials. S N S Alley. Yeah.
Those are my initials. That's a tough. A one. lot of a, a lot of people think that it's like Sportsnet and then Show Alley. A lot of people have said that's me, but it's actually S N S A are my initials. No, oh, okay, I like it. It's just still it's still a mouthful. It is. Um, sent out this poll question earlier today. Uh, which former prominent Toronto sports figure would you like to see to win a championship? Alex Anthopoulos, Demar Derozan, Zach Hyman, Kyle Lowry. Who did you vote for? I voted for Demar Derozan. Okay, why? DeMar. Yeah, Demar. Demar is just he is embodied. It's funny, right? Because he's not Canadian. <laughs> he's not from Toronto, certainly. He, but he has embodied the city of Toronto throughout his tenure as a Raptor. He, you know, he. What did? What was it? He said. He said, "I we we I got you right to the fan base when when things were looking a little dire prior to Kawhi's arrival, obviously, right? Because of course he was sent off to San San Antonio in that very trade, and then even even and since he has left, right, in his couple years with San Antonio and now with Chicago, he has never said anything or acted in any way in any other way that indicates that he." Does nothing but love for the city of Toronto. I got to say, he is my yeah. one of my favorite active NBA players. And I, you know, you and I have talked about the retiring jersey stuff. I don't know if DeMar DeRozan is necessarily at that point, but he is, I think, without a, a question, an all-time Toronto Raptors great. And I think, yeah. especially with the other guys on this list, I have I know nothing really against anyone else on this list, but I think in terms of rings, I would like to see DeMar get a ring before he retires. And that sad story of him sitting in the, what was it, in and out Burger yeah, yeah. or Carl's Jr. I don't even know what fast food restaurant it was, but like for hours after he got traded because he was so sad. That just feels very hurtful. And in a professional athlete eating, eating in an out burger, I don't blame him because it's delicious. Oh, I thought Alex Anthopoulos was going to be running away with this, to be honest with you. I really did. I thought that really? people, because he's that good Canadian boy who built the Toronto Blue Jays up, uh, would be leading the way. I'm surprised that Double A isn't leading this poll. I feel like he's not He's not leading it. Or he's leading, leading it it's closer than it should probably should be. I still think DeMar is the guy. I expected DeMar to be the guy to run away with this because of the reasons I listed. But I think with Alex Anthopoulos, because of... There was like there was some contentiousness to the way he left, right? And I mean, it's not. I don't think it's anyone's fault, really. I think from from what I can remember, he 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 wanted more authority, and, it, and you know, as a general manager, they ended up bringing Shapiro, who had done the whole president of a team before, and then Shapiro probably again, we don't know the specifics of this conversation, but Shapiro probably said, "You're going to have to answer to me as your boss," and he said, "Absolutely not," and he walked, right? So I think I think the way he left probably does have some. You know, some people in their feelings, and in, in addition to him being in the World Series now, probably does validate the people mm. who think, well, if he had stayed, the Blue Jays would be in the World Series. Uh, but as we know, nothing is a uh, things are not quite that simple when it comes to the way uh, baseball teams work. Especially one one reason probably being that they play in a division that's not as tough as the <laughs> AL East is. I like uh, Jim sent me a tweet. Okay, um, he goes, "Double A destroyed the Blue Jays. Was reckless with his trades." Uh, Jim, he signed Vladimir Guerrero Jr. as a sixteen year old. And that's a gift that he left the Blue Jays franchise. That's true. That uh, will pay dividends for years and years and years. Vladimir Guerrero Jr. could be the greatest Blue Jay of all time when it's all said and done. And Alex Anthopoulos moved uh, heaven and earth to to sign that 16-year-old from the Dominican Republic. Like, that's an incredible gift he left the franchise. I also also think it's just Just based on that one move show. Good Lord. But isn't, isn't it just harder to cheer for, like, an executive than a player? Like, versus, like Anthopoulos yeah. versus the rest of these guys, like DeRozan, yeah. Hyman, and, and Lowry. And I think that's a great point, because I never understood why fans get really that upset 
uh, with their disdain. I don't like with, with Mark and Ross because obviously they weren't as likable, at least at the beginning, that Alex Anthopoulos was. And I don't, I don't know, I don't know why that matters. Just put a winning product on the field and make sure the organization is heading in the right direction. Yeah. Like look at Jerry Krause on that. Uh, he was a jerk, and nobody liked Jerry Krause. But some of the moves he made helped the Chicago Bulls win all those championships. Like, just put a winning team on on the field, on the ice, on the court. It doesn't matter. Uh, if they're jerks, fine. Um, but at least bring me a winning team. I just don't understand the, the disdain for front office people as much as fans do, that they have, like, a personal, like, vendetta against yeah. them. They don't just like the way they are. Just make the right moves and just put a winning team on the field because that's ultimately what we all care about. All right, straight ahead. We're going to tee up this juicy, juicy Thursday nighter which has lost a little bit of the sheen with some blockbuster players not playing on both sides. We'll tee up this Thursday nighter, and we'll talk to Michael Bauman, MLB writer for The Ringer at 8.30. And we'll talk about that story uh, that's been floating around Twitter. Um, they need to change the name of the bullpen. We'll do all of that in the 8 o'clock hour. That's Show Ali with his incredibly tongue-twisting Twitter handle. I'm George Russick, Sportsnet tonight, Sportsnet 590, The Fan. Sportsnet tonight, Sportsnet 590, the fan, George Russick, Show Ali. Got a bit of an audible going on right now in Omaha, if you will. Tori Gurley, who was supposed to join us, gave us the Heisman tonight. Something came up. Ooh. We hope everything's okay with Tori Gurley. We're going to talk NFL with our pal Zink Fragasi, host on Sirius XM NFL Radio and Sirius XM Sports, will join us at 9 o'clock. Still about 18 minutes or so away from kickoff on this Thursday night between the Packers and the Cardinals. We'll talk about that football game after we talk to our pal Sean Woodley, host of the Locked On Raptors podcast. Sean, how are you? Or not? Sean, are you there? Are you safe? Hello? There we go. Hello? Hi. Can you hear hey, me? Sean, how are you? Hey, I'm good, guys. How's it going? Good. I was worried about your personal safety there for one second. I'm glad you're okay, and I'm glad yeah, you. I got uh, sucked up in the snap. I'm gone now. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> I'm glad you could jump on an hour early for us. Uh, thanks for on the uh, incredibly short notice. Um, what I wanted to ask you right away is, when you see Scotty Barnes performing like he has so early in his NBA career, how do you fight the temptation of going out and retweeting all those "That's a bad pick" by Masai Ujiri tweets when it happened? <laughs> Look, I was on a live draft show with Locked On that night, and I was puzzled by the pick as well. It, it was a surprising, you know, pick. I think everyone kind of looked at the way the roster was shaping up and the fact that Kyle Lowry was probably on his way out, and it was like, all right, Jalen Suggs, that's the guy, let's go. And I, I think everyone kind of got cut up. You get, you, you get your guys. You kind of build yourself up about your guys in the draft process, and I think everybody – really focused on Suggs. It seemed like he was telegraphed to the Raptors at four. And so I don't blame people for necessarily feeling a little bit disappointed that they were let down after talking themselves into Suggs. But the beauty of Scotty Barnes is that it took exactly one little dance when getting drafted and then like one trip around Toronto to kind of sell people on the Scotty Barnes experience, which is pretty awesome. And I mean, you know, I, I guess, you know, it's the draft, right? The draft is weird. The draft doesn't make any sense. And ultimately, you know, I think my take going into the draft was whoever the Raptors pick here 
they're going to get the better player between them and the Magic because they're the Raptors and they're the Magic, and the Magic will find a way to screw whoever they take up. And so I'm not too upset, you know, with the people who were pro Suggs at the time, and Suggs could very well become a very good player. But I think, you know, with the Raptors and what they kind of bet on themselves being able to do with players, you could totally see what they were thinking with Scotty Barnes. And boy, am I glad that they made that pick because he's an absolute delight to watch. Is confidence maybe the most surprising thing we've seen from him so far? Yeah, it's confidence, but it's also just like patience. You see a lot of guys come into the NBA and they're just like not attuned to the speed whatsoever. And they're kind of just like, okay, it's just like I got to make things happen immediately. And they're jumpy and they're sort of trying to do too much at times. But Scotty Barnes is so reserved and calm. And, you know, he gets out in transition. And instead of just kind of ramming it down the other team's throat, he's kind of pulling up. He's like, okay, what do I got around me? Is there someone I can give an outlet to? If not, maybe I'll just blow by this guy and score. And that's just like a level of poise and patience that you don't see from guys very often, you know, this early in their career, sometimes ever. Like, it's, it's hard. You're kind of hardwired all the time. Just, you know, there's so how many guys in the league are sort of, you know, everything is a nail and I am the hammer. And Scotty Barnes, he's like, you know what? There's some screws we can use here. We can kind of uh, take, take our time with this, massage it in a little bit. Uh, and he just is just a, a really delightful guy to watch because of that. That's really part of the charm of Scotty Barnes is, you can see him processing in real time, and he's doing it a lot faster than any of us normies can, but he, you can kind of watch him and sort of realize, oh, he knows what's going on the floor better than most people do right now, and that's just remarkable for a guy who was 19 like three months ago. Well, I think too, Sean, one of the things that really excites me about Scotty Barnes is that he is so strong. He can essentially get to the rim and just bully his way. You know, I mean, last night against the Pacers, DeMontis Sabonis is what, seven feet tall, 250, mm-hmm. 260 pounds, whatever it is. And Barnes was able to take the ball to the rim against Sabonis and grab his own rebound, his own miss, his own rebound, and put it back up for a basket. I just, you mentioned his age. He was 19. He's now 20, just a couple months ago. I can't even imagine what a 20 year old, when he puts on a little bit more weight i'm sure probably uh, is still pretty fast i can't even imagine what someone like barnes will look like in just let's say a year or two yeah he's just exceptionally good at looking very enormous right like he's six foot nine he's listed six foot nine but he feels like he's seven foot two with the amount of space he covers how long his arms are just the kind of way he moves and bullies his way around and honestly, you know, I, I think that size element of things really gets me excited about what some of the best Raptors lineups are going to look like once Pascal Siakam comes back into the fray. Because, you know, I think there's all this, oh, what's going to happen with Scotty Barnes? Is he going to play like the two? Are they going to, you know, play super huge when he comes back? I think there's a very real chance they play small a ton. And I know that's like, you know, haunting for Raptors fans who remember last season where they didn't have a center and they punted centers and it was a nightmare. But if you recall, the best moments of last year's Raptors team came when they were playing small. They'll be doing the same this year, just with way bigger dudes. And I, I think Scotty Barnes, the way he played last night, and that actual that, that, that sequence you're talking about where he kind of bullied Sabonis, there was a few plays in that sort of three or four minute stretch to close the second quarter last night that really kind of confirmed to me that, oh, Scotty Barnes can be a small ball center, and that is going to be totally fine. And he's going to be able to do all the center things you want. He's obviously a great rebounder already. But he just presents himself as such a great target. I think just after that bucket against Sabonis, he scored in the pick and roll, uh, in a pick and roll with Fred. And Fred just kind of found him. He was like, his hands were up high, you know, caught the pass, went up, finished. And it's just like, that's not stuff that you should be able to do when you're a wing. But he has center size in a lot of ways and center sort of, you know, tendencies around the basket. And so 
yeah, like a Fred Van Vliet, Gary Trent Jr., OG Ananobi, Pascal Siakam, Scotty Barnes lineup. Like, I'm pretty convinced that's going to be the best Raptors lineup this season. I think that's going to be the lineup that closes most games. And I think because of Scotty Barnes' size and just sort of intuition playing in the middle of the floor, I really think that's going to be an effective look for the Raptors, which I don't know if you could have expected coming in for a guy to just sort of adopt that center position and be able to play it so effectively, but it really does look like he might be able to. Sean Woodley is the host on host of Locked on Raptors podcast. Joining us here, Sportsnet tonight, Georgian show, Sportsnet 590, the fan. Sean, in the NHL, they say U.S. Thanksgiving is kind of the barometer to see where you're at in the standings. Does mm-hmm. Goran Dragic a Toronto Raptor by U.S. Thanksgiving? I think so. I don't think the Raptors are going to, you know, force their hand to the move here. I think they want to get something for him, and I think – you know, there's got to be some runway here, and you got to wait for teams to get desperate too, right? You know, usually trades don't really pick up until around the middle of December anyway, just because most of the league can't be traded. Anyone who signed a contract in the offseason is locked in until the middle of December. And so you'll see the trade stuff pick up around Christmas time, I would think. I think Dragic will get traded at some point, barring him kind of finding himself the spot, the rotation, and the team being really good. Maybe they just ride it out and say, hey, you know, he's going to walk for nothing. But we got pressure to chew up for Kyle Lowry. And if we get a year of Goran Dragic being a nice backup for us and we go deep in the playoffs or make a playoff run, not necessarily go deep, but, you know, go get some experience with Dragic on board, maybe that's not the worst thing in the world for our sort of growth going forward. But I do think the most likely thing is that he gets dealt at some point here. And, you know, for that to happen, he's going to have to play. Because right now, I don't know what team is out there looking at $19 million of Goran Dragic and saying, yes, sign me up, because he hasn't looked very good. That said, I think he is a, still a pretty valuable piece to have. I think he's one of the few guys on the Raptors who can kind of break down a defense at the point of attack, which obviously is in short supply on this roster. And I do think there will be some time for him. There will be more injuries. There will be guys who follow the favor. But, uh, yeah, I, I think you're not going to see much of that scuttlebutt about the trading Dragic pickup until he has a good run of play. If he has a month between now and Thanksgiving where he looks excellent, maybe some team jumps at the chance and, and, and pulls the trigger early. But, you know how GMs operate. Like they're going to kick it to the last possible minute. They're going to wait and see what they can get. And we saw with Kyle with Kyle Lowry last year, the Raptors were not in any hurry to trade away Lowry. They valued having his bird rights and all that stuff. We could very much see the same thing here. They don't get what they want for Dragic. Although I'm guessing there will be a slightly smaller premium being asked for Goran Dragic than there was for Kyle Lowry. Well, if you're a fan of the Raptors, how is it? How can you separate what we heard in the off season? that he wanted no part of coming to Toronto, and then all of a sudden he gets off and he just doesn't look good. Is that maybe a little bit on Goran Dragic when he was supposed to be like this veteran calming presence to fill a little bit of that void that Kyle Lowry's left behind? If you're a fan of the team, how can you trust that Goran Dragic has put in the full preparation to be a Raptor? I think you just look at the guy. He's a 13-year pro. I don't think he's out there dogging it. You know, he's said all the right things since coming to Toronto, and I do think he, it was kind of acknowledged that maybe something was lost in translation from the original Slovenian of his whatever his first you know comment was about Toronto back in the summer. And look, that wasn't a great look by any means, obviously. But you know, he's embraced Toronto since he came. You know, he, him and Scotty Barnes have a nice little friendship that's been kind of a fun storyline to watch. And I think he's you know, doing what a 13-year-old pro does. I don't think he's trying to dog it or anything like that. I think it's been four games of him playing, right? It's been really, you know, not a very big sample. It's a team with a lot of new faces, very little offensive chemistry built up. And Goran Dragic is coming from a team in the heat that was basically all chemistry and vibes. And it's going to take some time for him to make some connections with 
you know, his big men and, you know, working out what the best second units are going to look like. There's been no consistency whatsoever for the Raptors in those second units. If they're starting five with uh, Gary Trent Jr. in there, has played, I think, 86 minutes this season. The next highest Raptors lineup has played 11 minutes. There's been no continuity whatsoever, and you haven't really had a chance if you're going Dragic to find a group with which you operate pretty well alongside. And I think that chance will come. Obviously, if Delano Banton's going to play like he did last night, maybe there's no point guard minutes for either Dragic or Flynn at this point. But I, I think, you know, we get so caught up in the first week of the season and if you think about some recent Raptors years, I think back to that 2019-20 season and the sort of, you know, the trusted eight that Nick Nurse had in the first six or seven games that everyone was like, my God, this is too short a rotation for a full season. What's going to happen? And then in game 10 or 11, Chris Boucher and Rondé Hollis-Jefferson punked the Lakers and all of a sudden they have an 11-man rotation they're rolling with and things are pretty all right and guys are getting their minutes. So I, it, it takes a lot for these things to kind of iron themselves out. I do think it will come, and I think there will, will be a role for Dragic here, and I would expect that the Raptors want him to have a role so they can potentially put him on display for trade. And I, I don't think he's the kind of guy who's going to sort of, you know, loaf it and try to be bad. Because, you know, if he doesn't want to be in Toronto, his fastest way out is to play well and get traded to a team that wants him, that thinks they could, that he could help them win. You know, Sean, one guy you mentioned who has been getting minutes, like you said, uh, above Dragic has been Delano Banton. I just wonder, what do you see out of Banton's game so far that would suggest to you that Nick Nurse trusts him so much? Because so far, like so far through the season in the limited time he has gotten, he has been essentially an energizer bunny. And I think, too, mm-hmm. when, he, when he's handling the ball, it essentially makes, I want to say, without looking up everyone's specific size, I want to say that essentially makes Fred Van Vliet the, the, the shortest player on the court at any time. Oh, yeah. It's uh, it's pretty funny watching Fred be out there and look up all tall trees around him. It's kind of fun. But, yeah, with Ben, he, I mean, Nick Nurse clearly loves him. He was asked about Malachi Flynn this week and turned it into an answer about how much he loves Delano Banton and how much Banton should play more. So, uh, yeah, I, I think that's the easy thing to sort of see when it comes to, you know, why does Nick Nurse trust this guy, you know, the reasons for it. I mean, he just clearly has spoken about it himself, about how much he digs what Banton's doing. And I thought he had an interesting comment last night about how Banton comes in and just gets some easy buckets. You know, he'll get to the rim. He'll find his way to the front of the basket, either for himself or for somebody else. And this Raptors team is going to rely on getting those easy buckets any way they can. They have to win the possession game. They have to constantly be thinking about how can we grease like an extra two points out of this chunk of minutes because they're not a good offensive team and they're going to rely on their defense, but you have to score some. And if you're going to have any success, and if you're going to sort of take advantage of how smothering your defense can be, you got to stake a lead at some point. And, and those little moments where Banton comes in and creates four points, two for himself, two for somebody else, those are huge. Think back to some of the recent bench units for the Raptors where it's been five guys with zero offensive capability and the whole sort of MO has been, all right, win these minutes four to two, and then hopefully we can get our guys back in here after resting. That's not the case with Banton, at least not right now. And I think, you know, there's going to be some growing pains there. He's not going to be this you know, flawless energizers of money that everybody loves all the time, all, all the time. Like it's going to be a process. He's a rookie and there's lots to be sort of improved upon there. And I do think he will find himself with the nine Oh five at some point this year, but what he's doing, you know, he fits exactly what the Raptors want to do on defense. He can play basically every spot. I don't know what position he plays on defense. He's protecting the rim. He's guarding the point of attack. It's all very exciting. And on offense, he just kind of gets those little tiny edges. The, you know, the moving it up the floor, just that extra second quicker to get into your stuff a little bit faster. He does that really well, too. There's a lot of stuff that very is very Nick Nurse stuff that Delano Benton does. So I'm not surprised at all that he's been in the rotation early on here. Well, you, you talk about the second unit, but Sean, what the hell does this rotation look like when Pascal and Utah are back? 
it's one of them good problems, right? It's like, oh no, my arms yeah. are overflowing with the 13 good players we have on the roster. It's uh, my, you know, my bank account has too much money in it. Yeah, whatever am I going to do with all of these yachts I have? But yeah, it's um, it's I, that's the thing is people get so kind of you know, oh, what's the rotation going to be tonight? And it's just like things will iron themselves out. Guys will perform. Guys will move up and down the, the, the depth chart pretty willy nilly. And injuries happen. It's always easy to forget. I mean, they have two injuries right now, but injuries always take place, and that always affects what the rotation looks like. But I do think if you're Svima Hailuk or Chris Boucher or even Yuta Watanabe, like, I think those three to me are the guys who are really on the bubble for minutes. I think Flynn and Dragic or one of them will get in as a backup point guard at some point here, and Banton maybe slides into play more of a forward spot. If he's going to get regular minutes, it's hard to say. Again, it's sort of such an amorphous roster. Like, who is going at which position? How are you assigning it? You know when you do, like, the when you're playing NBA 2K and you're adjusting the sliders for your minutes in your rotation? I, it's impossible with this team because one guy could get four minutes as the two and six minutes as the, as the five and nine minutes as the four. It doesn't make any sense. But I, I think Utah, Svi, and Boucher are the three that are kind of on the bubble for me. They all kind of offer similar things to that second unit, which is shooting first and foremost and a little bit of offensive punch. And I think it's going to come down to who's defending best. You know, Speed has been, I think, capable defensively. He's not incredible or anything like that, but he makes those sort of, you know, cheeky steals and stuff like that to kind of, you know, tip the balance back in his favor. Yuta, we know, is a very good defender with a little bit of playmaking chops. and He's probably the guy I most trust getting into the rotation here of, those, of that group. And Boucher is going to have to do what he did last night. You know, he didn't have a great offensive game, but he played a really sound defensive game. He did the exact thing that Nick Nurse said, which was you don't have to shoot yourself into a good game all the time. You can just play well in the other areas and the offense will come. And I thought he did that last night, but that's going to be, have to be a regular occurrence. And if I had to put my money on it, I would say Boucher might honestly be the guy that's sort of the odd man out here because he does things that madden somebody like Nick Nurse that Yuta Watanabe or Svima Hailuk haven't really shown that they've done so far. So, you know, and that's also, I mean, I hate doing this so early in the season, but Chris Boucher is a pending free agent. He potentially is an interesting trade piece as well at the deadline. And maybe mm. there's something with Drogic and Boucher together. That's a lot of salary. Those are two role players that some contending team could use. That's an interesting one to keep an eye on as well. If the rotation shakes out, the Boucher is just not in Nick Nurse's plans. Sean Woodley is the host on the Locked on Raptors podcast. Sean, thanks for jumping on earlier for us. Uh, have a good night, pal. Of course. Anytime, guys. Take it easy. Um, yeah, th- tough problems for the Raptors. And again, this is just, it's clearly a transition year show. And at least you have the excitement of watching what potentially Scotty Barnes could be. It just always puts a giant smile on my face. I I barely criticize draft picks from anywhere because I can honestly say I don't watch them. Right, I, I I didn't watch a ton of Jalen Suggs at Gonzaga. Yeah. I wasn't up watching them play in that conference at like eleven thirty at night, watching college hoops, saying I can't believe you passed on Jalen Suggs when they just see all these mock drafts done by all these experts. I don't know how you can't trust Masai and Bobby, a team that's done a phenomenal job of developing players while still winning basketball games. So you're saying you didn't watch a ton of uh, Evan Mobley high blo- highlights going into the NBA? Yeah, no, I didn't. Okay. Or Cade Cunningham. Like, I no, I didn't see any of those guys play because I barely watch college sports. Like, barely. 
Do you watch like a, a watch? Do you watch? The, I'm not a college. There's football? just no time. Where college do you want me to find? Like, there's just no time. I need to have a life too. I watch all the big four sports. I watch the Leafs. I watch the Raptors. I watch the Blue Jays. I watch the NFL. Like sure. just, I'm all over the NFL like a dirty shirt. You know, I like watching tennis. You know, I like watching That's golf. True. I like watching soccer. There's just no time for a U.S. college sports show. It's the one <laughs> thing I say I just can't do it. I, I only I only ask about college football because because you like the NFL so much. I mean, I I also love the NFL, and I don't I I do not watch a second of college football until until the NFL draft. I'll go back and watch maybe like a couple of YouTube videos of the top prospects, okay. but that's basically it. I, I think. Yeah, like I can't say. Oh, I can't believe they passed on that offensive lineman again. Uh, I I was a guy who said if I'm the Bengals, I want to protect Joe Burrow here because he's your franchise. Maybe take Panay Sewell, right? Sure. But obviously, the Jamar Chase pick has been an absolute home run. So. So far, he's the leading rookie receiver in the NFL, and he looks ridiculously explosive, everything he thought he was going to be. And we live in a world where the Bengals seemingly look like they're for real, but I didn't know what Jamar Chase was going to look like in the NFL. I didn't know what Panay Sewell was going to look like in the NFL. If I was, I'd be lying to you, but... Uh, with Suggs and, and Scotty Barnes. I just trust the process with Masai and Bobby, and they've built up so much equity with this fan base thanks to that championship in 2019 that just hashtag trust the process, unlike what's going on with the Sixers. Yeah, I think that's fair, right? I think I saw someone say, someone who does watch a lot more um, NBA draft than either of us put together, uh, basically say that the right pick was always going to be whoever Masai Ujiri took, essentially, right? Like if Evan Mobley sure. fell to four and Scotty Barnes went higher or Suggs went higher, whatever, Kay Cunningham miraculously fell to four, the, the right pick would have always been who Masai took. And again, I don't think that necessarily means you have to have blind faith, but if there is any executive, we just got done talking about how much faith you should put in execs and any, any kind of personal feelings when it, as it relates to execs of your favorite Toronto sports franchise. But I mean, Masai Ujiri has more than earned and Bobby Webster as well. They have more than earned the, uh, the cachet from fans to think that, you know what, sure. Scotty, and you know, the thing with Scotty Barnes too, is it wasn't as though Barnes was some gigantic, massive reach. He was still projected. If you believe, even the draft, uh, the draft projections, he was still projected to go at five. So if he had yeah. gone to the Raptors at four, he would have just been picked by the Magic at five anyway. So I don't, I don't yeah. really understand the whole, oh my God, he really went off the board. Like Scotty Barnes went one pick higher than he otherwise would have. Yeah. And it's the, 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 the amount of, uh, again, it's just example, I don't know, the billionth example why social media and Twitter more specifically yeah. is just a vomitorium. Um, they're, <laughs> they're, they just kicked it off in the desert between the Cardinals and the Packers. And it sucks in this game because uh, we're not going to see Devontae Adams, the NFL's best receiver. We're not going to see Alan Lazard, uh, Marquez Valdez-Scantling's out as well. Aaron Rodgers is pretty much going to have to throw to his buddy Randall Cobb and uh, Robert Tunyon. And on the Cardinal side of things, uh, J.J. Watt, who's had a phenomenal season for the Cardinals, apparently um, tore his labrum in his shoulder, uh, slightly dislocated it, tore a bicep muscle, and needs a season-ending surgery, which might be season-ending surgery, which is super disappointing because him paired with Chandler Jones has been ferocious for the Cardinals so far this season. And well, Chandler Jones, too, has been kind of stuck a little bit, right? I mean, he he had, what, five sacks the first game of the year? And we, well, you know how, he's we, had COVID. He, well, so yeah, the last he's, couple of he, weeks, he, he's been out. He's been out. Yeah. He hasn't. He missed a couple tackles. You know what? So I, I hope he get, he does get back into the swing of things. I've always wa loved watching Chandler Jones. Just He's been a lot of fun to watch. But, boy, J.J. Watt, with all those injuries and the age he's had and all the injuries, the litany of things that have been happening to him yeah. over the course of his career, like, I wouldn't... I honestly wouldn't be all that shocked if J.J. Watt honestly never played another down of football. 
Uh, I don't know if he wants to leave like this, especially with a team like the Cardinals that obviously all of a sudden have Super Bowl aspirations when you're 7-0 and and have some impressive wins on your schedule. Why couldn't the Cardinals be a Super Bowl contender next year, especially with how they're built with around their young quarterback? But I, I, would, I would think he would come back at least for one more year because I like what's going on in Arizona. And to me, their most impressive win was not only that they beat the Rams in oh, Los yeah. Angeles, it's them. how they beat the Rams show at the end of the game. They just imposed their physical will on them and just ran the football down their throats with James Conner. To me, that was the most impressive thing in that win in Los Angeles against the Rams. Are you worried at all about Kyler Murray's, you know, his health, you know, for his, you know, he's, he's gotten well, a little banged up just over the course of a whole season, yeah. especially now that there's an extra game. Again, he has to prove that he can stay healthy the entire year and be that MVP candidate, right? Because he's been explosive. And nobody's a more dynamic runner in the NFL than Kyler Murray. He's literally the most dangerous ball carrier in the National Football League. And if he can stay healthy, and if Cliff Kingsbury can maybe take the reins off him a little bit, because the game he missed in Cleveland, Murray said he really enjoyed the freedom. He threw four touchdown passes. Just dial it back a little bit, Cliff. Let Kyler Murray work a little bit. And you just hope DeAndre Hopkins can get a little healthier because he's dealing with that soft tissue injury in his hammy. He's in the lineup tonight, but I think the Cardinals are legit, and this is another big test for them. It's just unfortunate we don't have guys like Devontae Adams and uh, J.J. Watt in this game because it would even be a sexier matchup. Um, we'll look around the NFL more straight ahead with Zinc Fracassi, host on Sirius XM NFL Radio at 9 o'clock. But straight ahead, uh, the San Diego Padres apparently have a new manager. That's breaking news. We'll tee up game three of the World Series, and we'll talk some gold gloves. And we got to change the name of the bullpen with Michael Bauman. It's all straight ahead. That show, I'm George. Sportsnet tonight, Sportsnet 590, The Fan. Sportsnet 590, The Fan. Sportsnet tonight. Sportsnet 590 fan. George Russick, Shoali. Breaking news from the NHL. Just looking to confirm it. I'm hearing that Joe Quenville is out as head coach of the Florida Panthers amid the Kyle Beach scandal with the Chicago Blackhawks. Uh, more on this story as the night unfolds, but it looks like he's on his way out and potentially John Tortorella will be named as a replacement for Joel Quenville. Um, we'll try to grab a guest on uh, later on in this program as well to talk about this. Big news coming out of the NHL. Looks like Joel Quenville out as head coach of the Florida Panthers. But it's an off night in the World Series after the Astros tied things up last night. To talk about that, look around baseball. Michael Bauman is an MLB writer for The Ringer. Michael, how are you? Good, how are you? Good, Michael. How tough is it for a lot of baseball fans to root uh, for the Houston Astros at this point uh, in this series when it looks like they're the best team in baseball and you, 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 I, I'm kind of a contrarian here, Michael. I kind of want them to win to kind of legitimize what they did a few years ago. I don't know why I'm feeling that way, Michael. Talk me through it. But it's weird to me that I want to see them win to kind of stick it in the face because everyone cheats in baseball. It's, it's, it's woven into the fabric of the game. 
Yeah, this has been the World Series of, of uh, conflicted emotions, I should say. It's been And Dusty it's, Baker, it's, right? And Dusty Baker. You yeah, want to see Dusty Baker win a championship, but it's with the Astros. It's the old Larry David gif. Yeah, it's this. This is probably the hardest World Series in a while for neutral fans to uh, to pick a side to to root for. I mean, my standpoint is, uh, just I'm I'm personally just rooting for fun games and for my predictions to come right. So that's yeah, that's basically it. Uh, you know, I think everybody's going to find threads that that they find attractive. And Dusty Baker, oh, is there a more beloved figure in baseball right now? I think. Him getting his first ring as a manager uh, is as good a reason as any to to root for the Astros. And I think, but I think you do make a good point that the sign stealing scandal, obviously, that helped the Astros uh, to the title in 2017. But that was an outstanding team anyway. Uh, and if they win a title after that, I don't know if that changes anybody's mind about the impact of of sign stealing. But uh, you know, I, I think there's probably some way that it could go to, to vindicating them. Michael, does Dusty Baker, regardless of what happens in this World Series, is he a Hall of Famer or does he need a ring to get in? I mean, I, he's at the very least, he's sort of in that Joe Torre tier where the managerial career um, is what he needs to get over the hump is like a Hall of very good player. I think just on totality, what what he's meant to the to the game over the past 50 years, really um, the number of places, you know, important historical events he's been in, in place for is just mind boggling. And I think, you know, his, I actually don't have in front of me, whether there are any hall of fame managers without a world series ring, but just what he's accomplished, the amount of postseason games he's won, you know, how long he's been around, how beloved he is in the game. I think that, you know, that legacy speaks for itself ring or not. Uh, Michael, just talk about the job that Alex Anthopoulos has done. Uh, just patchwork uh, his outfield, dealt with all the issues he's had this entire season. Is this the best general managerial job that Alex Anthopoulos has ever done? I mean, he's done some pretty good jobs in the in the uh, the past. I think this is a is different from some of the teams he built in Toronto because it's so improvisational. I think you know to a certain extent he's gotten a little lucky. He's gotten so much out of a bunch of really flawed players. I think what he's done is put Brian Snicker, the manager, in a position to maximize players who have holes in their games and put them in a position to succeed. And that's what we've seen in really good front offices. Some of the front offices we think of as the best in the game, that's what they do is they manage to to put a a team together that's greater than the the sum of its parts. And I think that's what he's done with, with remaking that outfield. So, Michael, uh, you know, tomorrow we're going to see two rookies on the mound in Game 3 of this World Series, Ian Anderson, Luis Garcia. But uh, as we have, you know, often seen so far, basically the whole postseason, but certainly in the World Series thus far, this will likely be decided by relievers on both sides. Because Charlie Morton is done for the season, how much is Atlanta hoping that Anderson goes as long as humanly possible tomorrow? Yeah, I mean, particularly because this is what this is that leg of the series where they have three games in three days. So they and they're slated to run bullpen games out there for games four and five, and that's stretching it to. I mean, even with a, a bullpen, we've seen Mentor go multiple innings. We've seen Matz go go multiple innings. Some of those shutdown guys um, have been they've been able to work them a little bit harder, but you can't do that three days in a row. Even doing it twice in a row is, is kind of a stretch. So they need length from, from Anderson. I think frankly, it was 
it was big that uh, Max Fried picked up from that rough start in the second inning last night to go five innings and, and give the bullpen a bit of a rest because they're gonna you know they're gonna need to save their bullets. I think. Because of that, I mean, even though they're at home, just if they get the series back to Houston, I think that's a win. Uh, Michael, I know this maybe isn't the sexiest uh, World Series that we were going to get because I think a lot of us potentially wanted to see a Dodgers-Astros uh, rematch from obviously that infamous World Series where Houston cheated. But the ratings last night for Game 2 in the United States, the second lowest in the history of the World Series for a Game 2. How alarmed should Rob Manfred and Major League Baseball be about this? Uh, probably not very because they've got smart people in their ears telling them that TV ratings, you can't really compare TV ratings now, even to TV ratings five or 10 years ago. Just that's how the, the media landscape has changed. You know, 40 years ago, there were three TV channels in the entire country. Now you've got hundreds of channels on cable streaming services. You've got people streaming the game. Uh, you know, baseball has diversified. It's, it's streaming options. They've got games on, on Hulu and YouTube now, in addition to, to cable and MLB.tv. So I think it's just a, what I would take away is um, they won the night, basically. Uh, you know, everything except for football, uh, as far as I understand it, per- didn't perform as well as baseball. And, you know, this isn't necessarily game about TV ratings. It's about uh, attendance and Internet buzz. So there are other ways, you know, as far as the health of the game goes, uh, you know, I can't speak to, to whether it's in, in a good shape, in good shape or not. There's, there's a, a lot of variables there, but I, you know, I don't think at this point, uh, TV ratings, particularly comparing TV ratings to the historical figures, uh, really tells you all that much. It says more about the media landscape than it does the sport. So Michael, you know, with the series moving, to an NL ballpark tomorrow. How do you expect this to change the Astros' batting order, if at all? I know there's been some talk about moving Jordan Alvarez around, but I just I'm curious as to where you see the batting order changed uh, with no DH for the Astros. It's going to be that's a so that's a big outfield, um, and Jordan Alvarez like uh, cannot run much faster than the outfield can the, the entire stadium. Michael Brantley's old and slow. Kyle Tucker's got good wheels, but he's not really a center fielder. So, I mean, I don't see the problem is you can't take Alvarez's bad out of the lineup. You can't really take Tucker or Bradley's bad out of the lineup. You can't put Alvarez at first base and take Yuli Gurriel's bad out of the lineup. So, there's there's really no I think you take the defensive hit and put all three of those guys out there and just just hope for the best and I think some of the there was some um, talk about moving Luis Garcia around um, shift, shifting the the rotation to get him a couple extra days of rest because of how well he pitched in Game Six of the ALCS I think another thing is just getting a guy who's going to get ground balls in front of this outfield. And, you know, I think it's it's just a risk that the Astros are going to have to take, or at least that's the way I'd approach it if I were Dusty Baker. Well, then on the other side of things too, right? Because that, that is going to be a really interesting conversation, how the outfield is aligned. But for Brian Snitker, I mean, with no DH, maybe like maybe Jorge Soler stays in the lineup over someone like Jock Peterson. He has been struggling. But again, no DH. Uh, certainly Atlanta more used to it than, than uh, Houston is. But I'm just curious where, where the DH, like how the DH... Uh, I guess conundrum for for Atlanta sorts itself out as it pertains to specifically Jorge Soler. Yeah, I think with the righty on the mound, they leave Peterson in the lineup, but I think he's a little bit better. Uh, I mean, he's not a gold glover by any stretch of the imagination, but he's better out there than Soler is. 
and you know, talking about the Astros running potentially three corner guys out there. Like I watch Adam Duvall play center field. I'm worried he's going to hurt himself. Like this is not a Atlanta doesn't have a very good defensive outfield either. You know, Rosario runs well and throws well, but uh, puts up. Uh, un, let's say uninspiring defensive numbers out there. So I think just because of, of what we saw in the NLCS with the righty on the mound, um, what we saw without the DH with Solaire on the COVID list, I think that worked pretty well. Um, so that's, a, you know, I'd leave Peterson in the lineup um, in favor, or I'd leave Peterson in the lineup and bring Solaire off the, off the bench if there's a, an opportunity for it, uh, if I were Brian Snicker. Michael Bauman's an MLB writer for The Ringer, joining us here on Sportsnet tonight. George Russick, Show Ali, Sportsnet, 590 The Fan. We're seeing a report out there, Michael, that Bob Melvin uh, will be hired as the new manager uh, in San Diego for the Padres. Can you say the manager was the issue in San Diego last season? It didn't help. Um, you know, a lot of things went wrong. The, the pitchers didn't stay healthy and also like it's tough to make the playoffs when there are 206 win teams in your division. So I think everything that, you know, the Fernando Tatis injury, for instance, um, a lot of things went wrong that were outside of Jace Tingler's control, but things seem to be getting bad late in the season. I think Bob Melvin, you know, just generally has a really good reputation within baseball. I think he's perfect for this job because they were looking at, you know, Tingler was a front office guy came, you know, came out of the Rangers organization Melvin is old school. He has credibility with all the players, but also because of his time in Oakland knows how to manage creatively knows how to work with the front office. I really, you know, I struggle to think of a better man for the job. I'm, I'm amazed that Oakland let him go. Were the Padres the biggest disappointment in all of baseball last season? Yeah, probably. I think it's, it's down to them. Them are the twins in terms of teams that uh, were supposed to, you know, I, I think you could add like the Mets and Phillies to the list too, uh, in terms of teams that had big expectations and ended up missing the playoffs. The the Padres weren't uh, as bad as the Twins were, but they, um, I'd say they, they had bigger expectations, more or at least more attention on them, um, and so their belly flop last year was was more conspicuous. So yeah, I, I'd say they'd probably be the the biggest disappointment in baseball in 2020. Uh, Michael, I do want to ask you a little bit about the uh, gold gloves, which were which were released today. And I think we, we have a couple of nominees here in Toronto, specifically uh, Jose Barrios. We got, uh, uh, who was it, Lourdes Gurriel Jr. I just, I wonder, one one name that wasn't on the list, I think kind of surprised some people, was Vladimir Guerrero Jr. I mean, I know, the the, uh, the process of awards is always somewhat nebulous, but are, were there any other surprises for you when it comes to gold gloves, either anyone who was not nominated or someone who was? I'll be honest. I don't really pay attention to gold gloves. Like you mentioned the, the award process, it's opaque in the best of circumstances and gold gloves. Um, you know, it's just, there's a black box, the, to, to the, uh, the formula behind it. You know, it's, it's even more, um, uh, uh, capricious, I would say than something like the MVP, you know, there's less that we know less about, uh, about defense, how much of that is the individual, how much is the team. So, you know, it's, you could, you could throw darts basically um, and, and come up with a, uh, a comparable list of, of good defensive players.
Uh, Michael, that made me laugh because one of uh, my favorite Ari Dickey uh, quotes of all time when he was with the Blue Jays is, the knuckleball is a capricious animal, and that re- immediately reminded me of that quote uh, he said when you just said that. Um, just quickly on uh, defensive metrics themselves. I'm a big believer in analytics in baseball. I love the fact that either you hit the ball or you don't. But aren't there just too many variables when it comes to defensive metrics, Michael? And maybe that kind of plays itself out here in the gold glove conversation. Well, uh, that's I mean, that's such a problem is there, there are so many variables. And you'll, you'll notice, like, the way if you look at, at Fangraph's defense, uh, defense war or DRS or, um, or baseball reference defense board, they, they use – three different methodological approaches. So it's, you're going to get wildly variable results among those three. And, you know, sometimes they all line up. Um, you know, you don't need, uh, just to throw a name out there, Andrelton, you know, a defensive board to tell you Andrelton Simmons is a great defensive shortstop just to, to throw one guy out there. Um, but, it, you know, it, it depends on what you're measuring. And I think there's, if there was more understanding of, of that when we're talking about analytics and some of these uh, advanced stats, I think people who are resistant to the idea of doing extra math uh, would would get on board and you know understand that that there are limitations and sometimes what it shows isn't a measure of quality; it's a measure of how you measure it. And so, you know, that's I think in baseball that's that's uh, uh nowhere is that more evident than in defensive metrics and i you know it's it's tough it's i think it's one of the few things we haven't really nailed down um as an analytics community um michael uh scott boris allegedly has a good relationship uh with the blue jays now and we saw today that marcus simeon has joined uh he's now a new client of Scott Boris, what do you think that ultimately means for the Blue Jays in their pursuit of re-signing their second baseman? Um, you know, I think Boris Boris has a reputation, but he's ultimately a pretty easy agent to to deal with. You just pay the client, you know, you pay the guy, and 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 he signs. And you know, I I think the the Blue Jays. I mean, I've I've been, I say this every time I come on this station. Like I I said last winter that the Simeon contract could be the best deal of the off season. And he was unbelievable this year. Um, and, you know, I think there's a lot of, of good middle infielders on the, on the free agent market right now. Um, but I think Simeon's still just such a great fit ter- for Toronto. But if, if they don't keep him, they need to go out and get one of those other guys. But I think just, you know, him at second base long-term next to Bo Bichette just makes all the sense in the world. Why complicate it? Uh, Michael, we, we've had this conversation. Obviously, we'd all love uh, for them to sign both Robbie Ray and Marcus Simeon. But what do you think would be the best approach for the Blue Jays if you could only choose one? I think you get Simeon. Um, you know, if Ray if if Ray does what he did this year, that's so much more valuable because the the real workhorse starting pitcher is so hard to come by. You can't, it's, it's tougher to cobble together a Robbie Ray in aggregate than it is a Marcus, Marcus Simeon. But uh, I just, I think Simeon's just such a, with the, the track record, he's, he's a more reliable bet. He's a safer bet. And, you know, I, I like some of the Blue Jays young pitchers. I think that they could fill that hole if they had to choose, but, you know, I think based on the season they had this year, they'd be smart to, go all in because I think the, the AL East next year is, is wide open. If they spend, they've got as good a chance as anybody. Michael Bauman, MLB writer for The Ringer. Michael, thanks for this. Enjoy Game 3. All right, my pleasure. We will have Game 3 live on Sportsnet 
590 The Fan. Astros and Braves from the ATL. Pre-game, going, uh, pre-game gets going at 7 p.m. first pitch just after 8. Watch it on Sportsnet as well. You know, show, I like to be a bit of a contrarian. Why sure. am I rooting for the Houston Astros just to stick it to everybody in their cheating scandal of 2017? You love, hey, look, I I, lo- I love that you love to uh, would, would love to see the the 2017 title legitimized a little bit, but I, doesn't it? I but the, it, it, it it gets legitimized a little bit, show. I think a little bit, a little bit. Yeah, yeah. I think that I, you know I what? Think it I, does. funny. I think, funnily enough, I am also cheering for the Astros, but for a completely different reason. I just want to see Dusty Baker get a World Series yep. ring. That's all I want, honestly. Like I, I, I have nothing against Atlanta. It would be, it would be a cool thing for Alex Anthopoulos, for the city of Atlanta that's gone so long without a championship. All that stuff. Sure, I, I can get get behind all that stuff too. But I just, I really want to see Dusty Baker get a ring. The guy has got to be, as Michael said, the the most liked guy, individual person, probably in the whole sport of baseball right now. Yeah. Um, when's the last time you, you uh, used a toothpick like um, Dusty mm. Baker has? Definitely before the pandemic. Like 2019 at some point. Okay. Uh, were you eating ribs? Like, what were you yeah, eating? Yeah, I was, I was, it was actually. I had, I had some kind of steak, I think. Mm, yeah. Really? A good toothpick. Uh, have you ever flicked a toothpick in somebody's face, Razor Ramon style? <laughs> I've not. I've thought about it, but I have not done okay. that, no. Yeah, I think that's the ultimate boss move. Um, this story came out uh, today from everyone's favorite organization, PETA. Oh. Uh, and uh, they had something out there that, of course, they waited to the World Series to tweet out this. Uh, quote, bullpen refers to the area of a bull's pen where the bulls are held before they are slaughtered. It's a word that we can do better with. Uh, apparently, PETA wants to switch the bullpen to the arm barn. And you know what, show? I dig it. I think arm really? barn is better than bullpen. I'm into it. <laughs> I, I didn't think I don't, like, like it. I'm not, I'm not on the side of we don't want to offend cows because what the hell are we doing here as a society and right. as a human race that we're worried about offending animals? I just think arm barn is way funnier. Imagine, imagine having like an announcer saying that like five times in a row. Arm barn, arm barn. It just seems like a strange... There's, there's a strange like you know rhythm to it, I guess. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah. The 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 PETA EVP, the executive vice president, had said baseball bullpens devalue talented players and mock the misery of sensitive animals. Like, look, I think there is, <laughs> it, like, it's somewhere. I think there is an argument for why why you maybe you should rename the world word bullpen. I don't think it really matters what you call where the relievers sit, really, but. At the same time, saying that it devalues talented players, I don't really think anyone. I don't in the know how that bit, works. Yeah, like, do they care? Like, this this Jordan Romano, who uh, dare I say could be considered as something of an animal during in the bullpen himself. Does you think? Do you think he cares about what that is called? I don't think so. I think it would just sound better if it was arm barn. <laughs> who who do the Jays got in the barn? What about that? You ever thought about that? But it, wouldn't that be confusing because they call stadiums barns too? Like, you know you know what I mean? Like, they call sta- like oh, go heading down to the barn tonight. Well, they call hockey rinks barns, guess, don't they? I guess that's true. I guess they don't really do that. Do they do that think, for, ba- ba- for baseball? They don't do that for baseball. Right. I've never really heard a field called a barn, really. It's more of a, yeah, arm barn. 
I, I do, can get behind it. I do like the like the prolonged metaphor of pitchers being like terrified and then they come out to be slaughtered on the field by like a, a batting owner. I do like that extended metaphor if we if we stick with bullpen. Not to not to crap on PETA. PETA does good work, but I'm just saying like I think right. it's uh I think I, I do like how that could you know, now that they have like you said, they basically waited until the World Series to do this. They yeah. could have done this at any point in the last right. like eight months or whatever, but they chose now for a reason, certainly. But I, I do like because uh, I I mean certainly it's not gonna change but i just i do like the idea of uh of, of that that imagery in my head i suppose arm barn uh at this point nothing would surprise me in society <laughs> i mean we change it to arm barn i know i know we've we cave on some things but caving to cows i don't think there are a lot of cows watching uh, baseball uh maybe they're all offended maybe if we if we offended one cow then maybe we shouldn't <laughs> because that's where we that's the we can't offend one person out there because everyone is so precious. You can't offend one person. It's all about me, 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 me. Anyway, armbar. I like armbar. Right. I think it's neat. I think it's funny. We changed disabled list to the injured list. That's true. When it had nothing to do with d- disabilities, but whatever. Why can't we change bullpen to armbar? I guess. I guess that's. It fair. was the DL for years. Why can't we go armbar now? I still sometimes say DL. Yeah, I would love to say armbar. The Blue Jays really need to address their arm barn issues this season, this off season. <laughs> Think about that in a year and a half. You can get on board. Why don't we just start? Do, why don't you and I just start saying that whenever we talk about the bull? Yeah, arm barn. Like, yeah, because it offends cows. I'm in. I'm into it. All right, let's do it. You think? You think? You think Jordan Romano is the closer for the Blue Jays' arm barn next season? Uh, See how easy that is. Yeah, why not? I'm into it. Arm barn. Let's get involved. Uh, straight ahead on the program, Zig Fracassi. Uh, does a phenomenal job of covering the National Football League for Sirius XM NFL Radio. He'll join us. And we're trying to nail down a guest. Uh, big news potentially brewing from the National Hockey League amid this Chicago Blackhawks-Kyle Beach scandal. It looks like um, Joel Quenville is out as head coach of the Florida Panthers. That's getting uh, reported uh, widely now, uh, widely and uh, apparently it might even be John Tortorella replacing him in Florida. We're going to nail down a guest at around 9.30. We're going to have to move Andy McNamara, although I wanted to talk to Andy about fantasy football and stuff. Mm -hmm. But uh, that's a big story coming out of the National Hockey League tonight. We'll try to nail somebody down at 9.30 with that. Uh, But straight ahead, we'll talk some football with Zig Fragasi. Sportsnet tonight, Georgian Show, Arm Barn, Sportsnet 590, The Fan. We are the most important part of your bedtime routine. This is Sportsnet Tonight on Sportsnet 590 The Fan. Sportsnet Tonight. Sportsnet 590 The Fan. George Russick, Show Ali. Big news. Apparently coming up from the National Hockey League, Joe Quenville out as head coach of the Florida Panthers amid the scandal, the Chicago Blackhawks, Kyle Beach scandal. Uh, we're trying to nail down a guest at 930 to talk about that big, big story breaking apparently tonight from the National Hockey League. But right now uh, to talk about the NFL week eight underway in Arizona between the Cardinals and the Packers, our friend Zig Fracassi, host of Sirius XM NFL Radio. Zig, how are you? Hey, fellas, how are you? Uh, we're good. Um, show, do you want a quick uh, quick little tidbit about Zig Fracassi? Sure. Yes, please. Uh, he's from Niagara Falls, New York, and I'm from Niagara Falls, Canada. We were that close <laughs> growing up as children together. Oh, I didn't know that. A couple yeah. of coffee crisps away. 
<laughs> yes. Oh, yes. That. What's your favorite Canadian? Because being so close to the border, Zig, what was your favorite Canadian thing that your American friends didn't understand? Was it coffee crisp? Oh, gosh. That, uh, arrows, which were awesome. Oh, yeah. mm-hmm. yep. uh, had a chance to make it up to Montreal a number of years ago, and I heard about the smoked meat phenomenon. So yep. that was some good stuff. And, Poutine? of course, being, being in Canada, you can actually smoke Cuban cigars there. So my, my legacy up in Canada with snacks yeah. and smoked meat and Cuban cigars is quite legendary. Okay, that's good living up here yeah. in Canada. Uh, Zig, uh, <laughs> it's a little bad luck here in this game tonight. We were hoping Devontae Adams would be playing. He's not. Alan Lazard's gone. MBS not ready. And the big news, J.J. Watt potentially going to have shoulder ending uh, so- shoulder surgery that will end his season. Can the Cardinals still potentially win a Super Bowl without J.J. Watt? I think I think they can. I mean, you know, you still – Chandler Jones came back – to the uh, game, uh, to the team tonight, and he had, you know, has been having a monster year. So he's, you know, a really good anchor. Uh, I think they've they've probably overperformed a little bit this year, and I think that's a credit to Vance Joseph and the job, you know, that he's done, um, and the fact that they lost Peterson in the secondary. A guy like Golden has stepped up, and you know, just the back line play uh, at Arizona has been very, very solid. Of course, what drives their bus. Obviously, it's Kyler Murray and DeAndre Hopkins and all that, but I think their defense, I wouldn't call it maybe elite, but I think I would call it uh, definitely good enough to make a sustained playoff run if they catch fire, maybe make a Super Bowl run too. So, Zig, earlier in the show, George had said that Devontae Adams is the best wide receiver in the NFL. And I, I would tend to agree with that, right? I would tend to agree, but certainly no Devontae tonight in this Thursday nighter. But I do want to ask you, let's say if Devontae Adams is the best or, you know, one of the top two, let's say, if you want to go elsewhere, who fills out in your mind the rest of the top five? I know it can, oh, can wow. be pretty subjective or maybe even top three. It depends on where, how, how long you want to go with this listing. But I, I wonder, do guys like Stephon Diggs or Justin Jefferson or how does that top five shake out for you? Well, you just mentioned a couple of guys that I would instantly include in the top five. I mean, Justin Jefferson showing that, you know, last year was no fluke. I mean, the guy catches everything that's thrown at him. So put him there. Obviously, Devontae and, you know, the rapport that he and Aaron have is absolutely great. Uh, Stephon Diggs, you know, you're not hearing any peeps about him being a malcontent in Buffalo because obviously he and uh, Josh Allen are, are very, very close. So. I think those would probably be among the top three, maybe four. You want to stretch it out with DeAndre Hopkins there uh, with the Arizona Cardinals. I think if you wanted to go by a group of receivers, you'd probably have to go Cowboys. Amari Cooper uh, has been very good. He's been hurt a little bit this year. Uh, Gallup returned to practice this uh, this week, and uh, they've gotten some other you know productive play as well. Noah Brown and just their overall you know group there so i think from a group standpoint it might be the cowboys but from an individual standpoint probably those guys that i just mentioned are top three to four easily um zig when it comes to the packers uh, i know you said that uh potentially the cardinals or their defense is is it good enough is it okay enough with that explosive offense is is the packers defense good enough to have another deep run in the playoffs or that's maybe something that once again aaron Rodgers is masking with his incredible play I mean, my gosh, you know, uh, they, they lost the, the one Smith brother there for 
the season. They've had multitude of guys go out. You know, Jair Alexander, I think, is one of the top five corners in the game, and he's not going to be around for a little while. So, you know, obviously what they've been able to do schematically the last couple of years has, has worked pretty well, but, you know, it got exposed a little bit in the NFC Championship game, even though they did have the three picks against Tom Brady. But um, Green Bay's defense, it, it's good. Uh, again, I think what you brought up is probably a, a more valid point that Aaron tends to mask not only the defensive uh, weaknesses, but also maybe some that are uh, on the offense as well. So, Zig, you know, we're watching the Packers tonight, and we're going to be watching, you mentioned the Cowboys earlier, Dak maybe might not play this weekend, some reports saying um, out of Dallas, but I'm curious. I wouldn't play him. Yeah, I, I probably wouldn't either at this at this point. You, you know, you want to secure the long-term health of your franchise quarterback, but when it comes to the pecking order of the NFC, how does that fall for you, you think? Let's see. Well, I mean, Arizona you have to put right there because they're unbeaten. And you look at the quality of the wins they have. Go go into Nashville in the season opener and you lay an ass-whooping on the Titans like you did. Uh, You go into, you know, the Cronky Dome there out in L.A. and you lay an ass-whooping on the Rams, too. So uh, those are things you can't really ignore. So I think Arizona's got to be afforded the top spot. Um, The Rams are pretty good. Uh, Matthew Stafford is now in an offense, I think, that he can thrive. Uh, And their defense, maybe not as stout as it was last year. You lose the coordinator, uh, Staley, to be the head coach of the Chargers. But I think they're still a very solid team. And then Green Bay, as long as you got number 12, they're always going to be in the mix um, as far as the uh, and then there was, yeah, there's that uh, team in Tampa too. They're kind of good, the Buccaneers, and you know, and they they haven't really lost anything. I mean, it's amazing. They've had a few injuries, but yet it seems to be a machine going. So I would probably put them there. And then Dallas is out of a, a weak division right now. And like I mentioned, I think I would rest Dak on Sunday. You know, this probably this calf injury was probably going to be multiple weeks anyway. So they did have their bye and. You know, they did show him doing some extensive drills, but when you listen, you've been in this business, guys, as long as I have. You start to hear between, you know, the tea leaves, well, it's going to be up to the medical staff. I feel I could do it, uh, but, you know, they may be protecting me, yada, da, da. So, to me, I think probably Cooper Rush got quite a few reps uh, with the first team. It wouldn't stun me if he wound up starting Sunday because Dallas does have, what, a three, three-and-a-half game lead in the NFC East. Zig Frakoski of Zig Frakasi, host on Sirius XM NFL Radio, joining us here at Sportsnet tonight, Georgian Show, Sportsnet 590 The Fan. I know there's a lot of Tom Brady fatigue uh, around the NFL with fans and media, but Zig, uh, everyone talks about the MVP of the league and Kyler Murray's right there and Josh Allen and the list goes on, but how isn't it Tom Brady right now at this point with the amount of touchdown passes he's thrown? He's got to be right there, right? I mean, my gosh, he's, what, 44 like, but, years but, old? I mean, but, in Zig, a is, it, years, is it just me or nobody's talking about that? You know, you know what I think happens? It's one of these things where it's weird what I'm going to say, but you're almost penalized, if you will, by being so great. In other yeah. words, It's the LeBron James so, factor. Right. You're so good, the best for so long it almost becomes boring. And, I mean, obviously, when you watch Kyler Murray play, I mean, the guy 
the way he's able to run around like he does. It's almost like watching a, a video game, and then he can fling the ball 50 yards on the run with no problem. It just looks so spectacular, whereas Tom does everything technically perfect. He's the perfect leader for that team, that franchise, and he and he's probably on you know pace right now. He's probably on another pace to throw 50 touchdowns, yet it's ho-hum, they're expected to win. We know they're great. That's where I think Tom Brady, believe it or not, is almost penalized because of his greatness. You expect it all the time. I do want to ask you, Zig, about a team that the three of us watch a lot of, the Buffalo Bills, as we kind of flip over to the AFC. And, you know, the, the Bills, you know, they had the bye week. They're going to be playing again this week. They're just a game out of the top spot. Or I guess, I guess going into this weekend, they were a game out of the top spot with the Ravens. But I just wonder, where do you, like, do you think the maybe better way of asking it is, do you think the Bills are for real, given the state of their defense? They look absolutely terrific. Josh Allen has taken a step. Right, I mean, he a lot of people saying he could he wasn't a big game quote unquote a big game quarterback, and certainly he has dispelled those uh, those rumors or those myths. Let's say I just wonder where you're at on the Bills when it comes to a an AFC that looks less less unbeatable this year, maybe with the uh, Ravens not looking so so perfect, the Chiefs looking have look, they have some problems as well. I just wonder where you're at on the Bills. Well, the Ravens, you know, let, let's give Cincinnati some credit. I mean, they went into Baltimore Sunday and they just you know, played some serious big boy football. And by the way, Burrow to Chase, you're going to be hearing that combo for an awful long time. And they also did a number on Lamar. So Cincinnati deserves full marks because Baltimore, would they win five in a row after losing their opening game. But they're still, they're still formidable. There's no question about that. Um, but I agree with you. I think the AFC is a little bit more prone. Kansas City, you're – you're hearing the right things from Andy Reid and Patrick Mahomes. We got to stop the physical and mental mistakes. Mahomes trying to take ownership for some really, you know, uncharacteristic football here. I mean, multiple interceptions and in multiple games. It's it's been a little bit painful to watch. I got to be honest with you. Um, and then you got, you know, obviously you talked about the Bills. Um, so maybe you have to temper a little bit because of that win in Kansas City because the Chiefs may not be what they were. I'll tell you one team, though, that really gives them fits is Tennessee. And we saw that, you know, last year we saw it in that Monday night game. Derrick Henry ran through them. Tannehill had the late, uh, you know, heroics there to knock out the Buffalo Bills. So if that's one team I would definitely want to avoid playing in the playoffs, if I'm Buffalo, that is would be Tennessee because they can they match up very well. But to your point, you know, the Bills are still well, they're still top, you know, five defensive unit. They were top five offensive too. So to me, it'll be interesting to see how they bounce back. One would say they ought to destroy Miami on Sunday. Well, if they're the team that you think they are, they will do that because there's the next team on their schedule. It's a division rival and you gotta reestablish your dominance that way. So I would expect an inspired effort from the Bills on Sunday uh, at the Highmark Stadium. Zig, I don't know about you, but that result in Music City between the Chiefs and uh, the Titans was shocking to me, just based on the fact that Kansas City couldn't score against a Titans defense that just bleeds yards and gives up big points. It's not like they shut down the Bills. They gave up over 400 yards and 31 points to Buffalo. But all of a sudden, you look at some of the underlying metrics and how teams are covering Patrick Mahomes and playing them. It's obviously two deep safeties now, and they're not blitzing them at all. 
and he struggled. Like, they're forcing the Chiefs to be dink and dunk and run the football when Andy Reid doesn't want to. It's I'm not saying he's been figured out, but why do you think it took this long for defensive coordinators from other teams to say, well, this is how we're going to attack this team year four into his career? Well, I mean, at some point, somebody's got to come up with the right idea, you yeah. know? I mean, um, I, I think I actually think at Tampa – did it in the Super Bowl, and I think you know the NFL being the copycat league that it did. Yeah. All right, well, what did the Bucks do in that game? Well, obviously, you know they rushed three, maybe four at a time. They dropped everybody else deep, and like you say, forced Mahomes to try to beat you. You know, with the short game, if you will. Uh, I would also say that part of their struggles too is he hasn't been helped by his receivers. I mean, there's been a couple instances here I've seen Tyreek Hill have a ball right in his hands, goes right through, gets picked off by a defender. So from that standpoint, his receivers haven't done their job. But also, too, the game against against Baltimore, you know, Mahomes trying to do a little bit too much hero ball there, throws a pass that's ill-advised, gets picked off. The Ravens turn that around and ultimately win the game. So I think there's been a little bit too much of a hero ball attitude from Mahomes, too. So he's probably just got to dial it in. Like I think Andy Reid also said today, basically, hey, you still have to stop at red lights. So maybe Mahomes needs to see more red lights and go with what's maybe the safer, more prudent route uh, to avoid those turnovers that he's had. Are they a playoff team with that horrendous defense? (laughs) Boy, at this point, that is a really good question. Um, it's crazy to, to their... say, right? It's crazy to say, but <clears throat> it I'm is, not sure but... they are, Zig. At this point, I'm not sure that they are. Um, I think I think last year, you know, some of the additions that they made, you know, when they brought Honey Badger on board, it, it seemed like it gave them some stability. You know, Chris Jones has been in and out of the lineup, so that doesn't help them or hasn't helped them. Uh, Charvarius Ward's one of their good young corners. He's been out of the lineup, too, so there have been some injuries. But even then, you know, you wouldn't confuse this unit for the Steel Curtain or Doomsday in their prime. So um, I'm not sure that they can overcome that. And I think their schedule probably gets, you know, tougher because that division that they play in, the Raiders, as of now, look very good. You know, the Chargers, you got the Herbert there with, what he's able to do, and even though they stink offensively, Denver, you know what? If you flipped Denver's defense with Kansas City's offense, you'd have a Super Bowl team. That's what I think of the Broncos' defense. It is really good, but their offense doesn't give them any support. Uh, Sticking to the theme of things I thought I'd never say eight weeks into this season, uh, this is a little crazy and a little hot takey here, Zig, but I don't think it's out of the realm of possibility. I think the Raiders are the most complete team in the AFC West. Agree or disagree? I would say at this point, probably. And yeah. I would say the that Chargers because... Chargers can't stop the run, right? Yeah. Um, I, you know, th- this, this uh, email fiasco, which ultimately caused Gruden his job... Um, it seemed to have brought, it's brought this team together. I mean, and, I, and to me, it's almost shown, too, that Derek Carr is the true leader of this team. 
I mean, they could have gone into the tank. They did lose that game against the Bears initially, but then now they've won a, a couple in a row here. Um, so it's clear that they love playing for this guy. Uh, it's also clear Derek Carr is the unquestioned leader of this team. Their offense is as good as, as it gets in the, uh, in the NFL. It's the defense that's been the problem. All these high picks, all these high-priced free agents haven't done the job, but as of late they've been a little bit better. But let's hold, like Parcells would say in the day, let's hold off the anointing oils here because we've seen the Raiders have fast starts before, only right. to fade big time in the second half of the season. So with the Las Vegas Raiders, I'm, I'll put them on hold for right now. Zig, who's your MVP as we uh, watch Week 8 here, Thursday Night Football? Is it Kyler Murray? Is it Lamar Jackson? Maybe uh, Justin Herbert? Derrick Henry, dare I say? Who, who are you going with for your MVP early on? If somebody said, Zig, you got to pick an MVP right now, I, I would think it's got to be you know, Kyler Murray, what he's done there with the Arizona Cardinals. Uh, a team that last year, you know, they had their chance to get into the playoffs. They fade, Like the Raiders a little bit, they faded big time. Uh, in the second half of the season, there seem to be some uh, concerns about Murray's ability to lead, maybe not having the entire locker room, but you bring in a J.J. Watt, you bring in an A.J. Green, some of these veterans here uh, to maybe help out in that particular area. There seems to be a really good rapport with them. The defense has made big plays. Obviously, having uh, Hopkins and Green together as weapons helps them out. The O-line play has been good. You know, you get uh, Chase Edmonds breaking uh, for a touchdown tonight. So uh, they've had some really good pieces in. And like I mentioned, when you go into Nashville and pound them like you did on the opening day, you go into L.A., beat them up pretty good, I think they're legit. So if somebody said your first-half MVP, it would probably be Kyler Murray. Zig Fragasi from Sirius XM NFL Radio joining us here on Sportsnet tonight. George Russick, Show Ali, Sportsnet 590, the fan. Is Deshaun Watson traded by the deadline this week, Zig? Ooh, that's a really good question. Um, wow. Should he be? I, I, I think, I, I really think Houston probably would like to be rid of the headache. I think Deshaun would like to be back on the field. I mean, actually, the Texans have done the NFL a favor here by not, you know, by not playing them because then you don't have, I guess, they don't have impetus for an investigation then. So, uh, right. to me, I think at some point something's got to get worked out. But we had Randy Mueller, the uh, former executive of the year, and uh, does a great podcast on The Athletic with Mike Sando. We had him on our show, and I asked him point blank, I says, if you were, if you were the GM, say of the Dolphins or the Panthers, whoever's looking at Deshaun, would you do this deal? And he says, Zig, I can't. And I asked, I says, why? He says, because there's too many variables. What you have to look at is, ultimately, if he, work, if he works out a bunch of settlements in the next few days, then maybe that accelerates the process. But then ultimately, does the NFL come in? Would they? Would he get put on the commissioner's exempt list? Would the NFL suspend him for detrimental conduct? And then, if that's the case, what what the what would be the compensation too? 
Would everything have to be conditional? You know, like if he gets into trouble, well, Team X then has to throw in an extra pick or two and or player. That's where it gets all confused. I think ideally they'd like to have it done, but Randy also brought up a good point with us too um, because there's only, it seems like only there's a couple of teams that could take him on in terms of salary. Maybe if this, they hold on to the end of the year, uh, that would maybe open the door a little bit more for more teams to be in on him. So you would want to say yes if he gets traded, but to me, using Randy's logic, it may not be the best thing to do. Play the season out without him. You know, go go obligatory stink, which they do, <laughs> unfortunately. But uh, maybe next year you open the market to more teams and maybe the better offers come in that way. Isn't this just another shiny example, Zig, of how the NFL really doesn't care what your character is as long as you can help them win football games? Well, yeah, I don't I mean, it, well, if that was the case, then Watson would be playing, though. So maybe the Texans are doing their own sort of self-discipline. Um, sure, but the Dolphins the whole... would love to have him under center on Sunday against the Bills if they can have him, right? Oh, they, and, apparently, well, right. Well, yeah. Although, you know, and now it's interesting, uh, the coach, if he's not politicking for it, the owner avoided the questions. Apparently it's uh, people in the front office. That situation there is worth uh, watching, too, That which leads to me to think that not everybody's on the same page whether they want Watson or not in Miami, if that's the team. Yeah, that, the, the Watson situation is so interesting to me, Zig, just because, like you said, there are so many variables the, the least of which, I mean, it has got to be the idea that the, the NFL is essentially just waiting for him to say that he does want to play football before putting him on the exempt list, right? Like you said, you spoke to Mueller. I mean, I can't, I can't imagine any team would – I mean, there was that report that he, the trade was done with the Dolphins and that they were kind of trying to suss out what was going on in the commissioner's office um, in terms of would he get suspended it, were he to get traded to Miami. It's just – I can't imagine any team would love to give up any kind of asset that would command a quarterback like Deshaun Watson if he wasn't going to play, I mean, who knows, not just this season, but who knows what happens next season too, right? Yeah, again, this is, this is all going to, you know, be decided here ultimately what winds up happening is, you know, are there going to be settlements? Do all of these things get taken to court? Again, uh, it's one of these things that I think people have been kind of numbed being, you know, talking about actually, because quite honestly, nothing's happened as of yet. Before we let you go, Zig, I do want to ask, um, you know, one one destination that Deshaun Watson has been kind of linked to. It seems unlikely that it's going to happen, but um, one destination nonetheless has been Philadelphia and uh, Jalen Hurts, certainly the quarterback right now in Philly. Do you think Jalen Hurts long term is the answer uh, for the Eagles or do you think they could move on from him even as soon as the end of this year? Um, there's been kind of a belief that, you know, the first-year coach, Sirianni, um, is basically running plays on offense instead of an offense itself. In other words, just trying to, you know, whatever kind of sticks at the moment, you know, try to do it that way. But, you know, I've seen some flashes in him. Uh, He's got a bigger arm than I originally thought that he had. Um, But you've got... Gosh, there's just so many issues there in Philadelphia. Again, the offensive line, 
which was basically one of the key reasons Carson Wentz left because of the you know constant shuffle of different linemen because of injuries and all that. That's been a problem. They haven't run the ball effectively. Miles Sanders, you know, and now what? He's hurt. So it's just been one hodgepodge after another. And you got to remember too, this is a you know this is a different uh, head coach, different staff for him too. So long answer to your question. I think there's ability there, but I think they need to upgrade the talent around him and really see if you know once they get some better receivers and you know a healthy Miles Sanders and a good line around him, if he indeed is the quarterback there. Zig Fracassi from NFL Series XM NFL Radio and proud Niagara Falls, New York native. Zig, thanks for this, pal. Anytime, guys, and keep uh, you know. Uh, the young man there who made the admission yesterday, uh, obviously very, very brave, and you yeah. know there's going to be the the yeah. damage coming out there. And yeah, I saw the Joel Quenville uh, rumors here. I think Kevin yeah. Weeks actually had that too tonight. So yeah, uh, it's a but. it's a story that uh, I don't think we've nearly come to the conclusion yet, and it's just it's just awful. And uh, that that interview yesterday was uh, some very very tough watch, but also very brave by Kyle Beach. Thanks for this, Zig. Anytime, guys. Straight ahead, we'll talk to Jim Boomer Gordon, host on Sirius XM NHL Network Radio, to talk about potentially uh, what's going on in Florida. As Zig just said, Kevin Weeks reporting that uh, he's out. Joel Quenville is out as head coach of the Florida Panthers. We'll talk about that developing story straight ahead. It's Sportsnet tonight. It's George. It's show. It's Sportsnet 590. The Fan. Sportsnet 590. The Fan. Sportsnet tonight. Sportsnet 590. The fan, George Russick, Show Ali here. Top of the next hour, David Alter, Maple Leafs reporter for the Hockey News, will join us. Talk about the Leafs' overtime win in Chicago last night. And at 10.30, we've called another Omaha busy night in the sports world. Andy McNamara, co-host of the Fantasy Show on Sportsnet 590. The fan will join us. Help you out with your Week 8 lineup. And we'll play a little dragon's breath between him and show where the stakes are so hot that only a dragon. Yeah, yes. Vicious. <laughs> so dumb. Uh, but right now, um, big serious story coming out out of Florida. Kevin Weeks of the NHL Network and ESPN reporting that Joel Quenville is out as head coach of the Florida Panthers to talk about that and the continued fallout of the Chicago Blackhawks Kyle Beach story. Jim Boomer Gordon host on Sirius XM NHL Network Radio. Jim, how are you? Pretty good. Just watching a little hockey, a little football yourself. Uh, we're good. Uh, this story just continues to be uh, blowing up all over the place. If, in fact, Joel Quenville is out as head coach of the Florida Panthers tonight, where it looks like we're heading that way, why the hell was he allowed behind the bench last night? Uh, probably a good question. I mean, you could have asked that a couple of weeks ago. Why was John Gruden allowed to be behind the Oakland Raider bench uh, when we were getting a stream of his emails that we knew were probably going to lead to his demise? I'm going to guess it was lawyered up and there was due process to go through. Uh, I know it was a bad luck for the league and it was uncomfortable uh, to watch. But, I mean, as we watch this thing play out, I think a lot of us were watching last night thinking that was going to be uh, Quenville's last game. So I, I think I think it's been a bad week for hockey, and I think we're looking for people to blame. And we've 
there's a lot of bullets in the chamber, and a lot of people are unhappy that he coached last night. But I think in the big picture, that's probably the least of our concerns right now. Yeah, it does kind of feel like with, with Quenville, after his meeting with uh, with Gary Batman, it certainly feels like it was it was essentially like we can you can either get fired or you can step down, which is certainly which certainly seems as though what's happened tonight. Um, you know, when it comes to when it comes to the the rest of the fallout from this from this really awful thing that's been going on in the world of hockey, Boomer, I just I wonder. I mean, is this? I can't imagine this is going to be the end of it, right? I mean, Kevin Chevaldeoff is someone who's uh, who's meeting with the league got bumped up. I think to today. I mean, are we at the point now where Chevaldeoff should probably also step down? As as tough as that it would be to hear for Winnipeg Jets fans, and I'm sure it was tough for Panthers fans too. But it's just when it comes to doing the right thing, I, I that's that's kind of where I land on it. I just I just wonder where where you land on it. Well, I think. I've seen a lot of those takes in the last hour on social media. I'm not sure that makes sense. I mean, both gents were due their day in court. I'm not sure the circumstances that led to the demise of Quenville are the same that would ultimately lead the demise of Chevy, uh, because I simply don't know what happened. Uh, Are his circumstances different than that of Quenville? Ultimately, a wide brush has been painted across this situation, and I think uh, everybody's in trouble. But... For the sake of that conversation, I mean, if you just ask the question, I mean, why, and I asked the question today, why would Don Fair be safe at that point? I mean, I was kind of amazed with an event as significant as this one that they would do a midnight news drop, which is what they did last night, the Players Association with the Fair statement. But if you read the statement, even if you take it at full value, it's the same thing as the Chicago Blackhawks. They failed uh, Kyle Beach. Kyle Beach reached out to the Players Association like he should have, and they ignored him. So, I mean, if you look at it in that context, it, it, it just feels to me like we've got a bullseye on the Chicago Blackhawks and everyone associated with the Blackhawks. We don't seem to be angry at Aldrich, which is the incredible part of this. This is the scum that that perpetrated this crime in the first place. His name doesn't even come up. And you look at what Fair Fair did, uh, I I wonder if if you want to paint that brush and say, okay, Quenville knew he did nothing. Chevy probably knew. We're going to find out. But he did nothing, and we're going to find out the follow-up there. I'm not sure why we don't look at fear with the same level of rage. Boomer, is it uh, the one thing I can't write? Obviously, this is a, a, a terrible, terrible thing that happened. And you're right, this Aldrich is the scum of the earth. He was just a video coach. Boomer, yeah. it wasn't the head coach. He was a video coach. Why not just fire the guy and release a statement? They were up 3 nothing in this series against the Sharks in 2010 when this alleged incident happened. He was just the video coach. A video coach would have that much of a distraction. I just don't understand why spare the guy when this guy comes out and there's potentially this incident happened or suspend him. He was just a video coach. That, that I can't wrap my head around. Okay, so I did some digging on that as well, and I talked to some people in the know. The question I ask, and I don't have the right answer for you, and clearly you don't have the answer either. That's why you're asking. Was it a hockey decision or was it a branding decision? If you believe 
all of this secrecy goes back to John McDonough. He was the president. He was calling all the shots for the organization. You believe the issue wasn't hockey-related. It was organizational-related. I mean, you go back to 06, 07. Uh, the United Center was this big, cavernous, empty building playing meaningless hockey games. The Hawks' best player was literally like Kyle Calder. They were a moribund franchise going nowhere. They drafted Caves in 06, Kane in 07, and all of a sudden they had built this juggernaut, and all of a sudden the UC was full and they were selling season tickets. And I think I've always believed that what was important to the organization was growing their brand. They had young, handsome guys on the team. They were cool. They were a rock band. They were playing Chelsea Dagger when they scored goals. And my every instinct was is the organization wanted to build off of that, and they didn't want an ugly scandal smearing a Stanley Cup parade, a Stanley Cup celebration, and the birth of what was really the ultimate marketable super team in the U.S. in hockey at that time. So you asked the question from a hockey perspective. My belief is, my sense is, that it goes a whole, whole lot deeper. And the report is that Quenville said, you know, kill it because I don't want to mess with my team right now. And you're right. He's just a video coach. I I think this goes right to the top. I think from a marketing perspective. Yeah. Okay. No, I, and I agree with everything, what you're saying that maybe that's the route, but why not in the summer then? Well, they, he left, he was out. I mean, I'm sure you don't like the fact that. Sure. But like, why not deal with it in the summer then that this comes out and okay, no, we're just going to sweep it under the rug and hope it goes away. Like that, that that's the issue here too, right? That you'd let it just happen and you, you want it just to to go away. And that, I think that's what, what the jarring thing is in in all of this is. You know, and, and, and part of me thinks that the people at the top just, didn't want to deal with it. All they cared about was winning. I, I was so messed up last night by, I, I talked about this on my show today, by the the video, the interview I saw with Beach. I actually, after the games last night, I went back into my on-demand and I watched Paterno. I wanted to rewatch uh, that movie to see, you know, how that whole thing uh, played out. And I mean, you, got, you talk about Halloween coming. That's the scariest movie ever made. And, and that thing... That went right to the top at Penn State. I mean, people went to police and reported. Uh, People went to the attorney general and reported. Everyone buried everything. So I I think power and influence can be a terrifying thing. And I think what they wanted was the perfect team, the ultimate team. And I, I, I think back in 2010, the idea of a story about homosexual conduct in the locker room I just don't think they had any desire to deal with it at the time, as bad as that sounds to us right now as we stand here in 2021. You know, one thing I saw last night as well, Boomer, is I saw the the comments after the Leafs-Blackhawks game made by by Blackhawks captain Jonathan Taves. And, you know, we can discuss, uh, I mean, none of the three of us know whether or not he actually was aware of any of these these allegations or whether whether he was aware of this. But he was asked about Stan Bowman and Al McIsaac, and he basically said that, you know, he, he doesn't think they're directly complicit and, you know, so on. He, he made the Blackhawks a good team to play. I got to say, I... I at least, and again, I wonder where you where you come down on this because I I was for someone who is known like Jonathan Taves is to be a leader in not just for the Blackhawks but in the world of hockey. For him to make that statement, I got to say I lost a lot of respect for Jonathan Taves last night. On, on what level? What was it that bothered you? Well, he basically says that he, his comment was there uh, to to me, Stan and Al. 
they're not directly complicit in the activities that uh -huh. happened. And then he went on to say, people like Alan Stan have made coming to the Blackhawks for players around the league who come to play here on this team one of the special places to play hockey. And it just seems like like he ba like he basically just absolves them. It seems in that yeah. from 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 any kind of responsibility because he made the Blackhawks a good team instead of you know making it a safe space for for everyone essentially. You know, I've even said it to myself, to be honest with you. Uh, I know Stan. I consider Stan a friend. He's a, a very kind person to me. He's been generous with his time. He would come on my show when I needed him. I liked him. I thought he was a good man. Uh, now, how is that impacted by what's come out in the last couple of weeks? I found it real interesting. Stan is not a combative guy on that level, yet he decided to take what I consider the ultimate parting shot at McDonough on the way out. And now you look at, you know, players in the organization standing up for Bowman on the way out. It just feels to me like there's arrows pointing. And I get your point, you know, standing up for these guys in light of what's happening is difficult. But I think he's speaking from the heart. I think he's been through a lot over the last 15 years as a member of the organization. And they're still human beings, and these are people that – uh, he cares about. Um, so I understand the standard you're holding him to. Uh, I, I, I think it's going to continue. I even think that this could end up tarnishing Hall of Fame weekend next month because I think Marion Hosa will likely be held to the same standard. And instead of coming to Hall of Fame weekend and talking about his career, he's going to be facing questions in regards to the Kyle Beach incident. So I, I think there's a lot of miles left on this road, but I, I didn't get as upset as you did about Taze last night. Jim Boomer, Gordon, host on Sirius XM NHL Radio, joining us here on Sportsnet tonight, George Russick, Show Ali, Sportsnet 590 The Fan. Uh, Jim, I don't want to minimize in any way, shape, or form uh, the trauma that Kyle Beach has suffered in this. I just wanted to ask you about this. Is this just another example on how we don't realize the pressure of winning and how it is in professional sports. We've seen athletes like Simone Biles and Nomi Osaka come out uh, this year talking about the pressures of performing and winning. It, it, and, and the Blackhawks to cover up such a just a disgusting event just to win a Stanley Cup and win a championship and not have any distractions. Is it just we don't understand as fans and media on how winning is there's so much pressure to win at the professional sports level, and sometimes these people will do anything and at all costs to win? You know, I would hate to think that you're right about that. And I've paid close attention to people stepping up in the hockey community given their take, and I don't think they would agree with that. I think they said... The Hawks just made a terrible, terrible series of decisions, and this is the worst way you could handle this situation. I don't think anyone stepped up to make excuses for them or to understand what they went through. I just, I just think this is a terrible, terrible situation, one we hope we don't see again. I, I think if, if I'm trying to draw things from this and how this is allowed to happen, I think people with a lot of money and a lot of power and a lot of control end up making really bad decisions and that's unfortunate we've seen it in literally every sport this year i mean you look at baseball and what they had to do with the, the bauer situation and what he got himself into and you look at what's going on with gruden and the oakland raiders and subsequently the investigation into dan snyder and what's going on with the washington football team people with a lot of power and a lot of money make a lot of bad decisions and i, I to me, I'm not looking at this as pressure. I'm just talk, looking at a bunch of people with a lot of power, a lot of influence, 
who had big goals, big aspirations, and weren't going to let anything get in the way. And unfortunately, born out of that is uh, is Kyle Beach and what he had to deal with. Does Stan Bowman and potentially Joel Quenville ever work in the NHL again? Oh, I wouldn't think so. Uh, we're not really a society of second chances anymore. I mean, if you go back, let's go back to 2010, the year this happened. Uh, Michael Vick got out of jail and the Philadelphia Eagles were there to give him a second chance. But that was kind of pre-Twitter, pre-social media. Do, do people get afforded second chances now? I wouldn't think so. Um, you know, even I, Mike Babcock was going to have trouble ever getting work again in the National Hockey League because he said a few things about Mitch Marner, uh, and that closed doors for him. So for Joel Quenville, what, he's the second winningest coach in NHL history, but uh, I can't imagine the level of damage control that would be necessary. Stan Bowman, you know, Stan didn't have the best track record. Uh, they won their last cup in 2015, haven't done anything in the playoffs since. They made it one year, but that was just because of the bubble as a 12 seed. And uh, his last move will be known as the Seth Jones trade, and that certainly hasn't worked out early. So I don't think anyone's running out to hire Stan. And I think uh, the images of Quenville in this scandal, I think will probably prevent Joel from working again. Uh, Boomer, before we let you go, some some breaking news. Elliot Friedman reporting that uh, Andrew Brunette is likely going to be the interim coach um, in Florida. I, I wonder, I mean, certainly the Panthers are at the top of the Atlantic. We'll have to see what happens with the, the coaching situation. Kevin Weeks earlier saying that um, it's possible that uh, John Tortorella could be linked to this situation. Probably makes too much sense with Bill Zito being the former GM of the Blue Jackets affiliate, and now he's the GM of the Panthers. So we'll have to see what happens there. But, I mean, what what do you think goes on here with Brunette when it, when it, when it comes to regrouping for the Panthers going forward without Quenville, as we're talking about? Well, first of all, everybody loves Bruno. Uh, but he has no head coaching experience. And the Florida Panthers are a juggernaut right now. I mean, they laid over Boston last night. Uh, they're undefeated. And Mr. Viola is going to find himself a proven coach who can get this thing across the finish line because they are a legit Stanley Cup contender. I don't think you put uh, Andrew Burnett as his first head coaching job. I mean, right now, I think as a head coach, all you got to do is open and close the door for this team. They're a machine right now, but I don't think that's going to happen. I mean, he'd be a placeholder till they got someone else. And I can tell you on the Tortorella front that uh, just speaking to his uh, executive producer over there at ESPN before I came on the air with you guys. They were in a meeting three hours ago planning tomorrow's show, and Torts was in the meeting. So as of 6.30, 7 o'clock tonight, Torts thought he was coming to work tomorrow. Uh, now, these things can happen really quickly. It can, it can be one phone call once the Panthers have made the decision to move on, and there are a bunch of ties obviously there with Bill Zito and the time from Columbus. But I can tell you, as of... I think 6, 6.30 tonight, Torts was in a production meeting at ESPN making plans to come to work tomorrow. So if it is Torts and it has happened, I can promise you it's happened real, real quickly. Uh, Jim, Joel Quenville has released a statement. Do you want me to read it to you and to all the listeners right now? It just broke on Twitter. Okay. 
All right, here's a statement from Joel Quenville. With deep regret and contrition, I announce my resignation as head coach of the Florida Panthers. I want to express my sorrow for the pain this young man, Kyle Beach, has suffered. My former team, the Blackhawks, failed Kyle, and I owe my share of that. I want to reflect on how all of this happened and take the time to educate myself on ensuring hockey spaces are safe for everyone. Your thoughts? Um, that's fairly vanilla. It is a little bit. It it seems like he's trying to keep the door open to coming back into hockey. That's what I read in that right away. I'm looking at it right now. Is is there even an apology here? Yeah. Uh, With deep regret and contrition. I announced my resignation as head coach of the Florida Panthers. But I see what I see what Boomer means. Like he doesn't he doesn't say like he is sorry for anything that he did, right? He just yeah. says I right. This is the new age uh PR. <laughs> that we have to interpret apologies apology. too. Yeah, we have to interpret apologies now too. But but this is the new age apology without an apology. It, it's contrition without acknowledgement. Um remember this started like fifteen years ago. I think it was Jason Giambi that started it with the Yankees who kind of apologized without ever saying what he apologized for. Uh, That's a blanket statement to me. I don't read a lot into that. Uh, But, I mean, clearly, uh, we talked about it today. He was dead man walking. I I couldn't envision a scenario after everything had played out the way it had and that he had been caught lying that it was going to lead to anything other than this. Um, Now, it does say he announced his resignation. I'm not sure what that means from a financial perspective, but I think people will say, well, why didn't they fire him? But usually this is from a legal perspective. It makes more sense for the organization. He can't sue for wrongful dismissal. But they're allowing him to walk away. Uh, But clearly we know what this all means. Yeah. Uh, Jim Boomer Gordon, host on Sirius XM NHL Radio. Jim, thanks for jumping on short notice. Okay, guys. Yeah, this, uh, this story just... Yeah, and, and and Jim brought up the point. You're talking about the second winningest coach uh, in NFL in NHL history. Now, potentially never will coach behind the bench and show this is all of his own doing. He should have spoken up. He should have been going to bat for Kyle Beach. We're human beings first, and I understand the pressures surrounding winning in professional sports and potentially winning a championship. But show we're human beings first. And if you knew this was going on between one of your black ace players, you have to stand up and do what's right. This is just this is this is an issue of just doing what's right. Yeah. And the Blackhawks did Kyle Beach wrong. Yeah, that's a, that like that is as simple a read on it as it should be. Right. I mean, like any, anyone, I know, um, I know Boomer said, you know, you paint with a wide brush and I, I do get that, that sometimes that could be hard, but in a situation like this, I think you kind of have to, you kind of have to paint with a wide brush. Anyone who even kind of knew about this and did nothing over such a long period of time, they got to go. Like they, that, that's, that's on, like if hockey wants to change some of the perception around, around the, the way the culture is perceived. And I know, I know some people will f- fall on one side of that argument and one people will fall on another side. But I mean, if, if hockey wants to change the way things are looked at right now at this sport, they, anyone who had anything to do with this has got to go. And, and Quenville has got to go. Like you said, when you talk to Boomer, he probably will never coach again. Kevin Dayoff, honestly, I think he's probably got to go too. We'll see what the investigation turns up later tomorrow. But I mean, I don't, I, like you said before, George, I don't think this story is even remotely close to being finished. And, and any, anyone associated with it, like I said, they, they just can't be in the NHL anymore. 
and, and and just just think of uh, that interview yesterday with Kyle Beach yeah. talking about his mom and how she broke down when she heard uh, that what what happened to her son. And you would think at the NHL level would be a safe space for athletes, and this wouldn't potentially happen, but it did. And just imagine if if and you you and I don't have any children, but. Um, I, I would be just horrified. My nephew, 16 years old, sure. I, I couldn't imagine how I would react if something like that happened to my nephew. And you got to put yourself into that position, too, that the Blackhawks let this guy and his family down. They did. This monster was able to do that. And imagine that question was asked yesterday about uh, seeing him at the Stanley Cup parade and, and lifting the cup and having a day with the cup. It, it's It's sickening. It really is. It's sickening that a scumbag like that was able to be a predator and get away with it for as long as he did. It's just we're human beings first. This isn't this isn't uh, an issue of whatever. We're human beings first. And if you see something that's going on, help a person. Help that person out. Don't put the interests of the team or winning first. We're human beings first and foremost. It's like that video you saw of that poor woman getting raped in Philadelphia on a train and people are recording it. Help the woman. Like, we're human beings first. Good God, people. Help one another. We're human beings first. I think we lose touch of that. What's what's important? What is it? No, we're human beings first. And it's just, it's it's disgusting what happened to this guy. And it's just plain not fair. It's not fair in that the Blackhawks organization from top to bottom knew what was happening and put winning ahead of actually being compassionate human beings. It's just... It's a very sad situation, and you hope this is the last time we ever hear anything like this moving forward show. Uh, more on this story. David Alter, Toronto Maple Leafs reporter for the Hockey News, will join us straight ahead. We'll give uh, we'll get Alter's take on this instance that, uh, yeah, Joe Quenville is out as head coach of the Florida Panthers. I don't know what this means for the general manager of the Winnipeg Jets, Kevin Dayoff, who was within the Blackhawks organization. When this alleged incident occurred, we'll talk to David Alter and we'll have some fun with Andy McNamara, co-host of the Fantasy Show, and we'll play some Dragon's Breath with Andy as well as we got one more hour to go with Sportsnet tonight. Show and George, Sportsnet 590, The Fan. Stargazing doesn't have to be boring. Not when you study sports stars. This, 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 this. It, it is Sportsnet tonight on Sportsnet 590, The Fan. Sportsnet tonight. Sportsnet, Bob Nani, the fan, George Russick, Show Ali here. One more hour to go in the program later on this hour. Show's co-host of the Fantasy Show. Sunday mornings, 8 till 10. Andy McNamara will join us. Help you out for your week 8 lineup. Also play some Dragon's Breath. Where takes are so hot that only a dragon could spit them out. Uh, David Alter covers the Maple Leafs. Thank you. Thank you, Fanny. Uh, David Alter covers the Maple Leafs for the Hockey News and joins us here on Sportsnet tonight. David, how are you? I'm good. What was that? I thought I I heard a car drive by. No, no, no. It wasn't. It was a a dragon. It's a stupid game I made up. Takes takes that are so hot, David, that only a (laughs) dragon could spit them out. Got it. Got it. Yeah, there's a lot of hot taking going on around these days, so that's for sure. Yeah, there is. Uh, can I read you the statement that just was released by NHL Commissioner Gary Bettman on the resignation of Joel Quenville? Yes, you can. 
All right, and for the listeners who just missed it, because uh, there's 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 a little bit to unpack on all of this. Uh, let me read a quote: "The National Hockey League agrees with the decision tonight by Joel Quenville to resign his duties as head coach of the Florida Panthers. In his former role as Chicago Blackhawks head coach, Mr. Quenville was among several former members of the club's senior leadership group who mishandled the 2010 sexual assault claim by former player Kyle Beach against the club's then video coach Brad Aldrich." And following a meeting with Mr. Quenville that took place this afternoon in my office, all parties agreed that it is no longer appropriate that he continue to serve as Florida's head coach. I admire Kyle Beach for his courage in coming forward. I'm appalled that he was so poorly, so poorly supported upon making his initial claim. And in the 11 years since, I am sorry for what he is, everything that he's endured. We thank the Panthers organization for working with us to ensure that a thorough process was followed. Given the result, there is no need for any further action by the NHL regarding Mr. Quenville at this time. However, should he wish to reenter the league in some capacity in the future, I will require a meeting with him in advance in order to determine the appropriate conditions under which new employment might take place. Um, David, why leave the door cracked open for Joel Quenville at this point in this statement to come back to the NHL? I know it's a tough question to answer, but why yeah, now? Why I, put that in there now? Just maybe, you know, just say, yeah, we support his decision and he made a terrible mistake. Why leave the door slightly ajar for him to get back into hockey? Yeah, so there's there's a lot to unpack there. And so when, when everything went down yesterday and Quenville was on the bench and, and they waited until today before that meeting and they didn't even do that move where you thought, okay, maybe temporarily don't coach this game until you talk to the commissioner. I thought he was going to be more defined and maybe have some sort of case or something that isn't being told. That he was that he was innocent because I don't understand the rationale of why he was behind the bench yesterday, given everything that we knew and I and everything that was out there. So, I I surmise that there's probably a lot of legal stuff and perhaps that someone like Quenville probably wanted some sort of assurance that that there wasn't just going to be an automatic ban and, and everything was gone. Everyone's always trying to protect something here. It's not right. It's not the proper way to do things. But I have to believe that uh, when when Joel Quenville was put in, in this spot that he was in and he still continued to coach that, that there was going to be some sort of legalities and, and lawsuit potential and and things like that, that, that they wanted – certain things in place and wording that was out there that if he was going to go, that there was some sort of agreement. Even when you hear that statement that they've agreed to let him go away there, that's, it's not his decision. Like it just isn't. These are always posturing moves where they have to, to look at things in a, in a certain spot and, and make the optics of it kind of adhere to everyone involved. So it's unfortunate. There's a lot of posturing in that statement and there's going to be a lot to unfold but they can't just outright ban him or, or say he's gone and gone for good because I think that opens things up legally. This was always going to be a very difficult thing to tackle. The NHL's kind of always been very deferential when it comes to conflict. That's why the unfortunate thing that, that happened uh, to, to Beach happened because there was an issue and no one addressed it. And it was really unfortunate and really sad that this all happened. And just as the heat was turned up on this issue – there were other things that the NHL kind of has to look at and, and talk to and, and make sure that they don't open themselves up for more legal issues. So I think that's probably why 
the wording is the way it is, where it's so wide scoped that it doesn't rule anything out. And and it's, it allows maybe someone like Quenville to kind of go away quietly for now. He probably wanted some sort of assurances on his legacy that way. And so it's unfortunate because it's kind of being a distraction from what we should be talking about. But that that's my guess in that regard. Well, you mentioned too, David, that you know things. There, there are still a number of things that will likely unfold from all of this. And you know, Kevin Chevel Day office meeting uh, tomorrow with Batman. That got that meeting got moved up, I believe. So we'll have to yeah. see what happens with that. And then, uh, of course, I mean, even even someone like Mark Bergevin, who wasn't listed in the report. I mean, he was the director of player personnel back in 2010 as well. So I mean, I don't, again, we don't know what he knew. We don't know what Chevel Dayoff knew. But they were a part of this organization. I can't imagine the fallout stops uh, just at Quenville at this point. No, and, and you know what? There is a lot more to unpack because that was just one investigation. I was listening to Kipper uh, on your station earlier today talk about the fact that there's still a lot more poking and prodding that has to be done about this because it's just one investigation. There's a lot of stuff. It's great that, that more truth came out, but there's probably more to discover. And so for that reason, there could be things where uh, there are things that on the surface – don't look good for someone involved, but through further digging does exonerate them in some way. And we just don't know, right? Like everyone is quick to, to kind of judge things. And the court of public opinion is a very strong one these days in the time we live in right now. And I think the fact that the Jets and, and, and Shevel Dayoff wanted that thing moved up is probably a, a better sign for them that maybe there is stuff out there that, that protects them or, or, or shows them in a different light that that wasn't out there in the initial investigation. So uh, it's tough. Like now everyone just kind of pokes and prods and and we're left to kind of figure out who's going to sit with this, but a tragedy happened. That that's the real sadness out of all of this. And, and the unfortunate part is as this kind of unfolds, we, we kind of shift to more of that and who's going to, to suffer for and who isn't as opposed to kind of eradicating the issue that's kind of been prevalent in hockey for decades. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. so that, that's, that's kind of where the focus shifts, but yeah, there, there's still a lot more to come out. That's for sure. And, um, uh, and a lot of it is legal wording because it's such a, there's the, the, the culture we live in right now, there's no legal precedent for a lot of this stuff where decisions are made quickly. And so that's why there's all kinds of, making sure things are worded and said in different ways that don't close things off, that leaves them open to some sort of risk as a league because they are a business after all, and they're always looking for the business interests first and foremost. Does Kevin Dayoff survive this too? Or he's pretty much... I, 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 think, uh, I, think he, I think he's probably the same as Quenville right now. Uh, I mean... When you're in an assistant spot, sure, you, you probably you can make the argument that in business, if you're not at that high, high level, you may not be privy to the same amount. But this investigation kind of shows that kind of knew. But there could be other things that, 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 that come out that say, well, he didn't really know. Like, and he may have been in that, but he came in in the meeting later and didn't know what they were talking about. That's the, that's the weird part of all this. There's just some things through an investigation with, with kind of statements out there and we don't know everything and it's just going to, it's, it's going to take its time. But in the interim, shovel day off is going to have to step away. Like that's, there's, 
there's no doubt in my mind in that regard. But it's one of those things where they kind of have to word it the same way, I imagine, where if stuff comes to light, where there is some sort of exonerating evidence, then they can bring people back. Because we are living in, in these weird times where people can be written off in that way, but then something could happen, and then you wonder, did we overreact on this, or, or was it right? Because you have to have 100% certainty in a lot of these cases. And so we know that this happened, this this tragedy happened, and then we're trying to find the proper accountability. And when you get into assistance and meetings and stuff like that, it's really tough, apart from the top figureheads, to really break down who it, who really was involved from one investigation when there probably is a few more that need to be done. The league needs to step in and do their own. When you have a team do it, and that, and those people aren't on the team anymore, they're definitely going to scrutinize it if they feel that they were hard done by. So that's what we have to figure out. Uh, one of the things that came out yesterday as well, just it's just such a heartbreaking story uh, that some of the some of his teammates would berate him with homophobic slurs and taunts at practice, and now of course towards Kyle Beach. Do you think we'll ever find out the names of those players, and should we be demanding the names of those players? Yeah, I think I think we uh, I think this is a watershed moment. If they really wanted to stop, all the truth has to come out, right? Like it's when when Rick Westhead had this this um, investigation and Katie Strang followed up on it. There was a lot of people saying, "Well, no, this didn't really happen," and then it, really quickly the. The players who weren't players anymore were like, oh, yeah, this happened. And, like, that's that's wrong. Like, why? Like, everyone's protecting their own self-interest. And, and, and because they just make a couple of moves, is that enough to make sure this doesn't happen again? I don't know. But it, the, the sequences of events that led to more and more victims because of what happened in Chicago is something where everyone really does kind of have to be exposed for whatever involvement they had because – it just can't happen again. Like it really can't. Like there was a lot, there was a lot of ignorance that led to more people getting hurt when the the issue could have been handled immediately and quickly. And, and so maybe they do have to get everyone out there uh, and let, let people decide what the proper course of action is if they really want to stop this from happening again, because it's happened so many times in the, in hockey's culture in previous decades where uh, people have gone through, just the worst of acts and bullying and sexual assaults and whatnot. And, and it really needs to stop. Well, David, I wonder, and, and George and I were talking about this in the previous segment with our, with our previous guest, but the idea of, of how much other players knew, like you guys were just talking about, and Jonathan Taves certainly did not have the, the, you know, the most, let's say, accountable statement last night after the Leafs game. But yeah. I just, I just wonder, where, like, where do you fall on something like that, right? Because again, I mean, he's the captain. He's specifically Taves of all players of all captains is known for, you know, being his uprightness and his, you know, moral standing as a person of in hockey and that kind of stuff, and then. To say what he did last night, I kind of—I gotta say—it shocked me, and I was—I was disappointed. I don't want to like bias you necessarily. I'm—I'm I'm just curious where you are on on what Tave said last night as it relates to his—not necessarily part, but his view, I guess, on everything um, as he was a player during all this, basically. So I, I got to hear and read the clip today because right. even though I was in Chicago last night, I was really mainly focusing on what the Leafs were doing sure. in that regard. But but I did get to see the comments and. Yeah, I mean, he. It sounded like uh, like a loyal pledge to Stan Bowman, and it was kind of too much about him, 
and not enough about the issue itself. And I didn't understand why he even did that. It, it seemed like he was trying to protect someone who he felt oh, he owed in his career instead of dealing with the issue that had happened. And that was really unfortunate to see. Like that was like it didn't it didn't even need to be said. I think that's some of that is hockey culture. Some of that is really bad PR where they really should have just talked to him. Like every team has PR and whenever there's hot button issues, usually a PR person will brief that person or player or whatever about the talking points and just bringing up Stan Bowen should have just been off limits. Like it really just should have been like, it's a common sense thing. And the fact that he turned it back to that was just a very tone deaf thing to do. Like it's, it, it wasn't that time for that. So uh, yeah, I like, it, it's not a good look for him. Um, and I think it, it puts more of an eye. I think it, it, it kind of corroborates what everyone else is kind of saying about the situation. Like, I don't think there, there's not enough contrition for what happened. And there's more of a, of a wallowing of, for what happened to his general manager. And it's just, it wasn't the right, it wasn't the right way to do it. Maple Leafs reporter for the Hockey News, David Alter, joining us here on Sportsnet tonight. Georgian Show, Sportsnet, Bob Nutty, the fan. Well, you just said you were in Chicago. You were in Chicago last night for the game, correct? Yes. Okay, so you were in Chicago last night for the game, and watching it from home, it felt weird with everything that was going on, especially with the interview airing 90 minutes before puck drop. What was the sense right. in the arena being there? So, so what happened was all that stuff was happening, and... Uh, the more the the warm up starts and the crowd the crowd didn't quite fill in yet but for the crowd that was there when they came out it was silence like there was actually silence silence in the building from the crowd for the warm ups you would just hear the blaring horn that that the United Center has that was it and so that part felt weird um, just being around my other colleagues in, in the uh, on the beat there it, it really felt odd because I'm not even really looking at what's happening on the ice more so just kind of reading and watching the clips and finally when the game started it started to feel a bit more normal and the anthem they do that thing where they they applaud through the U.S. national anthem over there and so that that's when it started to kind of get back to it and as the game went along it started to kind of feel like a game again but the timing of it it really felt weird it felt weird being there um, and it, it had an odd vibe. Like it wasn't a vibe like anything I I'd seen, but it was also disassociative because they're not acknowledging it. They're not doing anything in that at that moment. And I'm watching it on a monitor, and and then the game goes, and I'm trying my best to just focus on Leaf stuff because it was a pretty intense game for them. <laughs> like like they really needed to win it, and uh, I'm trying to follow what's happening in the hockey world and also trying with my duties as a leaf reporter to kind of put all that stuff out there. And it was weird. You kind of had to, you had this weird meld and mesh of trying to figure all that stuff out. So um, yeah, it was, it was an odd vibe. It was funeral-esque for the warm-up, but when the game started, like the enthusiasm for the game itself kind of picked up. Like it felt less weird once the game started to put it that way. 
Uh, well, David, we uh, we appreciate you being generous uh, with your time for us tonight. I do want to ask you, since we uh, did want to talk a little bit about the Toronto Maple Leafs themselves with you, I do want to ask you about, I, gu- I guess maybe in a general sense, just the way the team has been going. I mean, certainly the the, the Sharks game and the Penguins game and, and the, the Hurricanes game as well with Freddie Anderson. And now, you know, they, they played the, the Blackhawks who coming into last night, going into last night, they were a team that had not held a lead, I think, all season. And then, of course, they go up 2 nothing in the first period. I just, I wonder, even though the Leafs did win the game, it was probably one of Mitch Marner's better games of the season. William Nylander still looking really good to start this year. I just wonder, like, how how many positives do you take away from a 3-2 overtime win in, in a team in a game that probably should have been far more lopsided? Certainly, you take the win. Win is a, is you take that and you run, right? But I just wonder where you're at on the on the team still after a, a, a very close win in Chicago. So, so there weren't that many positives, honestly. Like, I'm watching that. Even after the first period, I thought it was going to get really bad. And, yeah, they came back. But it didn't stop the odd man rushes going against the Leafs. It didn't. It, 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 the defense still had issues, particularly that middle pair of Muzzin and Hall. They really looked out of sync in the second and third period. Much of the first period, they were on, they were, they were on the ice for both goals. Uh, it was... there weren't a lot of positives. Yeah, they came back. They did all that stuff. Jack Campbell was great. Uh, William Nylander has been the best skater for the Leafs all season. And, and apart from that, they, they look like the Leafs of 2019, 20 before the pandemic paused that year where they would have their offensive moments, but in their own, in their own zone, it would be a circus sometimes. So um, yeah. And they, 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 they actually said that after the game. They were just kind of like, well, like we got the win, we needed it, but like there is a lot of work to do. And when you just squeak out a win against the worst team in the league and you still have your moments and you need your goalie to stand on his head for the final third, that third period, he made a couple of great saves, Jack Campbell did. Uh, it, it's, um, yeah, they, they have a lot of work to do. I don't think anyone felt like they were out of the woods by any stretch. There was... A couple of positives. Getting Marner on the score sheet with an assist was fine, but they like he still hasn't scored in quite a long time. Um, William Nylander was pretty good. Uh, like he he's really matured like five years it seems in this off season. And um, apart from that, the defense is is really problematic, and they have to try and figure that out somehow. And it's good they got three goals, but they they need to really get the 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 goals happening like they were in previous years because that's been the identity of their team and they just haven't been scoring that much. Is it time to break up Muzzin and Hall? Yeah, you know, they they tried that in, in minor spurts last year. I think they may do it. Um, I think Muzzin's banged up. I actually asked them point blank in Pittsburgh when that game got out of control just because sometimes you just need to hear where they are and he said he was fine. I, I'm not surprised he didn't. He didn't uh, reveal it, but um, you can tell like his, he just doesn't have the same speed to his game. And I think that's affecting Justin Hall a little bit as well, but TJ Brody's kind of struggled. He's had some weird errant passes and he's not breaking up plays coming back with his stick like he was doing last season. So apart from that, you can shuffle things around, but I'm not exactly sure what it's going to do. Like you can move Rasmus Sandin up a little bit, Maybe, but uh, apart from that, when your middle two guys are both struggling, I don't know how much you can split them up to, to kind of change things around. They did it for like one period 
uh, in that game against the Penguins when they shuffled up the lines. They ended up sticking with the forward lines from that experiment, but they reverted back to their D pairs. And so maybe you're right; they may need to do it, but. I don't know. It's it, it the de- I don't know what to do about the defense. The like Sheldon Keith's answer for it is that the offense has to to do its job, and then the defense won't have the same kind of pressure as a result. And I don't know if that's the right remedy for this team. Before we let you go, David, I mean, how how much how much of this blame for for anything that's gone on this season goes to Sheldon Keith in your mind? You know, the more I learn about Sheldon Keith and how, how lockstep he is in with Kyle Dubas, I think not as much. Like, I, I really do think that they are a tandem. Like, I think they kind of share equal blame in terms of what's happening with the team on the ice. Kyle's at every game. He was on the trip. Even when no other front office members were there, he's there. I think you've got a little glimpse in the all or nothing about how much Keith does rely on some decision-making things and, and advice from Kyle for some of those things. And when the roster is the way it is, and uh, we, I've mentioned this when I've gone on uh, with you, particularly you, uh, particularly you George, when um, the Leafs were playing those Canadian teams, they were trying all these things defensively and they looked great, but I didn't really think that that was a real representation of if they were actually that good because I had to see what it looked like against some of these other American teams. It's mm-hmm. six teams versus 31. This team is mostly the same. We can argue that with the exception of some weaker wingers because they don't have Zach Hyman, but the defense is the same minus a veteran. And their goal of these situation is Campbell, like it was last year. And they're playing that same way. But these American teams, with the exception of the Rangers, are, are getting 10 bell chances uh, the other way, or I should say 10 bell saves that Jack Campbell has to make to keep them in the game. And that's, that's an issue. So I think, I think Sheldon has a little bit of that. But I think it's a roster construction from Kyle. I think they share equal blame in this. David Alter covers the Maple Leafs for the Hockey News. Alter, great stuff. Thanks for this. No problem. I appreciate it, guys. You have a great night. What, what great perspective show we had that he was in Chicago last night yeah. for that game. And just weird. Weird watching the game. Weird watching Joel Quenville. And everything just felt tone deaf, right? After seeing the Kyle Beach interview and then watching the teams in action with those guys, with Quenville behind the bench and the Blackhawks playing, it just... Just a weird night last night in the NHL, and I can't imagine the pain and the suffering from not only Kyle Beach but everyone involved with his friends and family. Absolutely, yeah, absolutely. I, I you know what, the guy is is incredibly courageous. It, it takes it, it. It I can't imagine. Like I truly can't imagine no, yeah. what it would yeah. mu- what it must it be like for him to put himself right. out there and do what he did. So you know what, I'm I, I'm glad he is. He, I'm glad he felt comfortable enough to do that in order to to you know continue his own process of healing, but also yeah. to ensure that nothing goes on like that in the future. I just good like I can't I can't say enough about Cal Beach. And and I feel like we're just peeling the onion slowly back on this entire story. I think we're yeah. going to find out a lot yeah, more details, and hopefully we get the truth because that's the most important thing, the truth. Who knew about it? Who covered it up? We, we need to know the truth, what happened, and how the organization failed that young man when he was with the Blackhawks. All right, straight ahead. Um, we'll have some fun. Annie McNamara is the co-host of the Fantasy Show on Sportsnet 590. The fan with Show Ali. We'll talk about your Week 8 lineup and we'll play some Dragon's Breath. I think we can mix that in. One more segment to go. Sportsnet tonight, Georgian Show. Sportsnet 590, The Fan. Sportsnet 590, The Fan. 
Sportsnet tonight, Sportsnet Pop Nugget the fan, George Russick, Shoali, wrapping things up here. About 23 minutes to go, to be exact, in the program. Some heavy topics tonight uh, with the Kyle Beach just... It's a tragedy. That's what it is. Uh, we've been talking about that. Joel Quenville, if you missed the news, has resigned as head coach of the Florida Panthers amid the scandal with the cover-up within the Blackhawks organization. He is no longer the head coach of the Florida Panthers. Andrew Brunette will take over on an interim basis. Um, we got the Thursday nighter on the go right now. It's a good one between the Packers and the Cardinals. Uh, Andy McNamara is the co-host of the Fantasy Show, 8 a.m. till 10 a.m. Sunday mornings on the Sportsnet Radio Network. And he joins us to talk about your Week 8 fantasy lineup. Andy, how are you? George, been a while, my man. Now, I heard you say 23 minutes left. I told show, if it goes over 10, I invoice. So okay, that's I don't fine. know how long yeah. it's going to be. You're going to keep. Yeah, me. you should do yeah. that with our new bosses and that's see how that yeah. goes. Um, <laughs> do you get? Yeah, do you get no. mad? Do you? Do you get mad that uh, I called you the co-host when really, no offense, show Andy's the host. Just like when they call me the co-host of Sports Interaction. Yeah, no, I'm the host <laughs> of the show. <laughs> Andy's too generous. I didn't even he's notice. Too, he's too generous even... to get to get mad about that kind of stuff, George. Okay. No, it's just like the amount of work See? I put into that damn Sunday show every week. Right. No, I'm the host. Co-host. I host the show. Co-host. It's like yeah, no, side... well, I, it should just show. be sidekick George Russick. Sidekick. Yeah, just yeah, I'm in the sidecar <laughs> with like one of those helmets on a yeah. spike in it on the motorcycle as uh, Steve the goggles. is driving it. Yeah, yeah, I'm in the little sidecar. Right. Um, week eight fantasy football. <laughs> um, outside of Christian McCaffrey oh. and his injuries, Andy, <laughs> who's been the biggest disappointment where he was drafted in fantasy football so far this year? I think you got to look right up there with Saquon Barkley, who. We all downgraded some, right? He wasn't being taken second overall, but he was still being seen as a guy who, all right, he's got to be a first-round pick. Not to me, but he's got to be a first-round pick. And the injuries have followed him. That's That's yeah. been the issue. So now we have to look at both guys. And, George, we've talked about this before going into the year of, all right, well, what happens if Christian McCaffrey gets injured again? Then what do we do? And I think we're we have to wrap our minds around – that life comes at you quick if you're a running back. Like, it wasn't that long ago when Todd Gurley was the consensus first overall pick. Melvin Gordon, yes, one, two, or three. And now they're just totally wiped out. So I think I think Barkley's one. I think also you got to be disappointed with Dalvin Cook just because of the availability. He hasn't been there either. Yeah, I think uh, the, the fantasy show, I think, this weekend, Andy, is going to be hot just because of all of the uh, certainly less inactives, right? Not as many inactives, which is kind of nice. But, mm-hmm. uh, you know, in this uh, in this Thursday nighter, one thing we've seen, I think it was like one of the first plays of the game, was uh, DeAndre Hopkins, you know, he has the, the face mask after he catches what would have, I think, otherwise been a touchdown. And uh, aggravating the hamstring that was a kind of a question mark coming into this yeah. game. So obviously, like, there's still some time between now and whenever the uh, Cardinals play their next game, right? But I just wonder, uh, if if Hopkins is out for any amount of time, does that upgrade in your eyes someone like A.J. Green? I know you're a big, uh, big fan of Christian Kirk. Like, where do you go with the mm-hmm. other Cardinals wide receivers? Yeah, I, I think we're in a situation where doesn't it kind of feel like DeAndre Hopkins is in that Julio Jones mode from a couple years ago where he close. always has the cue. Yeah. Like, like yeah. show he always has the cue, the question. He goes in, and then he'll play, 
And most of the time, ball out, but you can't be sure. He's already been out of the game today. He's come back in. So if he does miss any time, and I bet you it's going to be another situation each week where it's up to game time and drive fantasy managers insane because you don't know what to do. I personally believe Christian Kirk is the best option specifically for PPR. The guy continues to give you mid to high team production on a fairly consistent basis. The one thing we got to keep an eye on, though, show, is Zach Ertz. Couple catches tonight, touchdown last week. How is he incorporated into an offense which has never, under the Cliff Kingsbury and uh, Kyler Murray era, never had a tight end as an offensive weapon? Now, the tight ends they've had have not been that good offensively to be that weapon. Zach Ertz can be. So I just oh, want to see from last week with the touchdown to this week, like how is he going to perform and how do they keep using him? Um, Andy, if you're a Patrick Mahomes, a Travis Kelsey, or a Tyreek Hill owner, how nervous should you be mm. right now? I'm in two leagues, George, and I'm a Kelsey owner in one and a Hill owner in another. So I can answer that personally, and the answer is nervous. That's what it is. Travis Kelsey, <laughs> Travis Kelsey, you know what? Not so much. Because as long as he's healthy, what? Am I going to be upset that I took Travis Kelsey? No. That was a, it's, a, it's a good, no matter what happens, that's a good move. He's the best tight end in football, no matter what. The production isn't where it was last year, which where he outpointed the next highest guy by whatever it was, 200 points or something. Tyreek Hill, though. That's way too up and down than from what we're used to, right? We're seeing like a 40-plus point game in week four to a 14, to a 22, to a 12. Now you have the Giants. I feel that this is going to be a bonanza for Chiefs this week because they've been embarrassed, right? Three points for that offense last week, guys. Three? I think they're going to come out swinging and dismantle the Giants, and and it's going to be a feast day. But overall, you're right. It's been very disappointing for where those guys would have been drafted. Andy, are you ready to um, to admit defeat on Lamar Jackson not being good? Are you ready? You could, you could do, do, do it for <laughs> us. Still here? dying on that nope. hill. Like nope. the guy is one of the he best quarterbacks in the league. I'm, I'm, I'm gonna I'm gonna die. I'm gonna die on it. Okay. Uh, coming All off right. a loss, a loss, 17 points to the Bengals, boys. I thought he was unstoppable. What happened? Something what are the Bengals going to do to your Browns? Yeah, my goes. goodness, yeah. What are, what are the Bengals, oh, Andy? That's going to look. Uh, that's going to be nervous. ugly. Baker Mayfield or no? That is going to be one ugly game. Oh. My God, Baker Mayfield's one arm. His one. Oh, here we go. Here are the excuses. Bone chip out. Here we go. Uh, this is all, all of the excuses. Hey, but the it is it is not throwing arm. You're right. But the Ernest Johnson. Can we give some love to the Ernest the fisherman? It was amazing. I was at the game last week in Cleveland, guys. The place was, it's not an easy name to chant. I'll give you that. Like, it was, the crowd wanted to get into it, and it was kind of awkward. It was like, duh, Ernest, duh, Ernest. And it was just kind of, you you know, it didn't roll You were already back in Cleveland last week? Yes, I was back in Cleveland. Why weren't you you posting a million photos again? I did. You must have muted me again. (laughs) No, I didn't mute you. I literally don't mute you. No, I know. I know. I did. I posted a video of at the game. I was barking as uh, you know, as as you tend to do as a in a Browns uh, at a Browns game. Oh yeah, I was at the Pro Football Andy, Hall of Fame and everything. Andy, I would have told you on the air that I've muted you. You know that. <laughs> I know. <laughs> I know. I know. I know. I've no, muted I, a lot was... of people we work with. I just can't take them anymore. So I go. I have to talk to them. I mute them on on but, social. But but don't you want political takes, George? Don't you want political? Oh my fa- Oh yes. Oh, yeah. oh, here we go. Do you want me to go on on how it's don't so easy it. for people we work with just to tweet something and actually do nothing about it? 
<laughs> behind all these causes when they actually do nothing about it and just want the likes and the retweets. Anyway, go Nose ahead. Nosebleeds up on the pedestal. Sorry. Yeah. Okay. Sorry. <laughs> Gosh. Why? Why? Why you gotta do that, Andy? Come like, on. Why you gotta, like, why do you gotta tell me? Like, why do I gotta drop truth bombs right away Here when everything I, I just know. said is I completely true? I missed anyway, this. Sorry. <laughs> sorry. 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 All right. I, look, we I do we, we are gonna play a, a bit of a, a game with you in a couple minutes here, Andy. But before we do, um, I do want to ask you one of the I think probably the most popular waiver pickup on a Wednesday was probably David Johnson because of course Mark Mark Ingram, mm. uh, former Texans running back Mark Ingram was traded back to the New Orleans Saints um, to I guess be Alvin Kamara's backup I suppose right so anyway so Ingram is gone he's out of Houston and a lot of people the hype train let's say has left the station on David Johnson now I don't know I'm not ready I'm not ready to be burned from a fantasy perspective oh. on David Johnson just quite yet but what what are you seeing what do you think will happen because I, I man I guarantee you I promise you we will be talking a lot about David Johnson this week oh. on, on Sunday on the fantasy show you're right um, it's gonna be David Johnson Here's what I think happens. I think everybody runs out to get David Johnson. And I had a guy, I had Tim Patrick. I'm like, you know what? I'm going to get David Johnson. He cost me zero, like, fab. I, sure. I got him for nothing. No, no. So I was like, okay. I'll, 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 I always value the extra running back over the extra wide receiver. So I picked him up. But Philip Lindsay's role is going to increase here, guys. Like, like it's, it's going to increase to a degree. Now, I still think David Johnson has the better upside because the Texans blow and they will be down and have to throw the ball. And if you're going to throw the ball, you're going to throw it to David Johnson. So there he is stay healthy. A, if he can stay healthy. So the, like, there's a part opportunity. Like, do I ever do I ever want to be in a situation where David Johnson comes off my bench? I don't because something's gone wrong. But yeah, like you can pick him up if you missed it up on Kenneth Gainwell. Like running backs are at a premium. If he's going to get in, yeah, give him a shot against the Rams too. Yeah, good luck. That, that's going to be fun. Um, Andy, before we uh, dive into some dragon's breath, uh, trade Ooh. deadlines are coming up fast and furious uh, for um, a lot of fantasy owners out there. Who's the player you should be buying low on and who's the player you should be selling Ooh. high on? Now that's it. You know what? I would be... I think Jalen Hurts still does not receive enough credit. I, he still gets dumped on. And by fantasy owners... Um, I don't think you necessarily get him for free, of course. But mm. fantasy-wise, guys, the guy's the fourth-best quarterback. And all I hear when I have questions, nobody asks about Jalen Hurts. Or people are like, oh, I don't want to start. Why don't you want to start Jalen Hurts? The guy's literally the fourth-best fantasy football player. It's because, so here, here's I, why, Andy, here's why. It's because Hurts for, like, three and a half quarters looks like yes. he's the worst quarterback in, on planet Earth. And then, and then he somehow still manages to finish the game with, like, 25 points. It's the Blake Bortles effect. Yeah. It all counts. It all counts. So I would want Jalen Hurts. I would try to um, be selling on a guy like, like Chuba Hubbard with McCaffrey at some point coming back. And I know running backs are at a premium, but that's somebody still, because he's in the lineup, I feel you might be able to squeeze a little bit out of. And I'll tell you one more. Hunter Renfro, show you know I pound the table yep. almost every week for Hunter freaking Renfro of the Raiders. Nobody loves him. Andy does. I love him. And it's in PPR, that dude is still, still owned in less than 50% of Yahoo League's guys. Okay? And all he does is he gets you in the mid to high teens of fantasy points in PPR. That's all he does. All okay. the time. All the time. All right. Uh, what we love to do on here is, and Andy, we, we thank you for your gracious time this evening. Of course. Uh, are you drinking it? Yeah, you're, you're, oh, yes. you guys might have paused my bourbon intake. Okay. Good Lord. Okay. I, I wish you didn't. I wish you would have in took more. 
bourbon before he jumped on the air. Um, I've had any. Oh. You should have more. Um, That's I think right. It's time to uh, to fire up Dragon. <laughs> Fanny's ready. She's ready. Before we go, um, Andy, because Aaron. you're the guest, I'm going to give you the option. Are you going to agree with Fanny's red hot takes mm. or disagree? Oh, oof. okay, Fanny. I, I hear you. Um, I'm going to agree. I'm going to agree. Okay. All right. You're going to agree. Yeah, so agree. show. Yeah. You'll go first when we play some Dragon's Breath. All right, Danielle, unleash the dragon. It's now time for the hottest of hot takes. So hot, in fact, that we needed the help of our Sportsnet 590, the fan dragon, Fanny. This is Dragon's Breath. Is your host, George Russick, who, by the way, is fluent in dragon. Right, way more fluent in dragon than French. <laughs> I will admit that on the radio right now. Um, show, unfortunately, you got to disagree with Fanny, and she really doesn't like That's that. That's true. I'm sorry, Fanny. But uh, she's, been, she's been holstered for a while, and she's ready with some scorching hot takes. Danielle, let's hear the first one. this one um show ali you got to disagree with her take on william nylander will lead the maple leafs in goals and points this season disagree with that take show ali boy william nylander george has looked so good he he has looked amazing this season just like a almost like a new man or maybe a a newish man going back to the playoffs but as dismal as the start for the rest of these toronto maple leafs has been Matthews, Tavares, Marner. I almost combined their names, Tavares. But uh, Matthews, <laughs> Tavares, and Marner. Uh, I, I still think, ultimately speaking, the, the guy who's going to lead this team in points it's going to be one of Matthews and Marner, right? I mean, Marner, I okay. think still he's the... I know we like to dump on the guy, and he's had a real tough start to the season. But you know what? Marner probably going to be the guy who flirts with uh, leading the team in points again. I think he had 67 points in 55 games last year. I want to say I read that earlier today. And Matthews, I mean, the wrist surgery. I know he's looked a little dangerous going forward. But, you know, I, I, I got to say, it's, it's, if it's not Nylander, it's certainly going to be Matthews or Marner. And I think it'll probably be Nylander in third place when it comes to total points and goals at the end of the season. Uh, Andy, you know how this game works. you got to agree with her take. William Nylander will lead the Maple Leafs in goals and points. Why? Well, once again, Fanny has uh, blessed me with a, a great question. And w- listen, guys, show said it right there. He is a, a new man going back to the playoffs last year. I don't think this is a fluke. I think this is exactly what Maple Leaf fans have been clamoring for. For how long? He's not a complete player. He only... Fl- he- listen. This dude's going to lead the team in scoring, and that contract, which how many people have dumped on forever, is going to look even better than it already has. William Nylander leads the team. Now, of course, Marner, Matthews, they're going to be close, but this is Willie Nylander's year, and he's showcasing it already through eight games. I think we look the rest of the way, and we'll be looking back and just thinking, wow, that's the guy. That's our guy. Okay, I like it. It is. Uh, we're playing Dragon's Breath on Sportsnet tonight. George Russick, Shaw Ali, Andy McNamara, our guest on Sportsnet, Bob Nani, the fan. Danielle, let's fire up the second take from Fanny. Oh, no way. No way. 
Andy's on the show. Uh, Andy, you got to agree with this take from Fanny. Okay. The Browns can win a playoff game if Case Keenum is their starting quarterback and not Baker Mayfield. You have to agree with that take. Oh, hashtag facts, gentlemen. Listen, I saw Case by God Keenum in person last week. He looked spry. He looked nimble. Looked loose and confident. Did you see him on Thursday Night Football after there? He was doing the double guns. He was loving life. He's loose. He's got nothing to lose. Absolutely. The reason he was brought in was because he knows Kevin Stefanski's offense, which is the Kubiak offense, which is the Shanahan offense, which they had together in Minnesota. And what did Case Keenum do when he was in mini and filled in for Sam Bradford not that long ago? Took him to the conference championship. I'll take that. I think Case Keenum can not only win you one game, I think he can win you two, maybe three. Oh, wow, just yeah, three wow. games getting to the Super Bowl? No big deal. No big deal for That's Case it. Keenum. Uh, but no problem. Show why isn't Case Keenum going to lead the Browns to a playoff win over Baker Mayfield? Uh, the simple truth is because the Browns are probably not going to be hard-pressed to make the playoffs, just period, right? Oh, I mean, it's going to be tough. The Browns, the Browns are the Browns, even the third-best team in the AFC North. Uh, they could be the worst team right now in the AFC North. So, honestly, I, 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 wow. I, it's less that I wow. dislike Case Keenum. It's more that I just, at this point, have no faith. Hey, maybe next year, maybe next year everyone will be healthy. The Browns admittedly have struggled with some injuries that are, that's, you can't predict that. It's no one's fault, right? It just happens. Every team, attrition sets in. Every team deals with injuries. But unfortunately, with all the injuries, the cavalcade of injuries the Browns have dealt with, I don't think it matters at this point if Baker Mayfield or Case Keenum is back there. I think they'll, they will they might wow. make a play for the final playoff spot at the end here. But, I mean, this is going to be the Bengals' division at this point, it looks like, or the Ravens. But uh, I'm sorry, Andy, not the Browns. Wow. Okay. Wow. wow. A devastating for Andy McNamara. All right. Let's squeeze in one more on Sportsnet tonight as we play Dragon's Breath. Let's hear it, Fanny. Um, wow, this one's interesting. Show, uh, we're going to start with you. You have to disagree with this take. Okay. The Indianapolis Colts will finish with more wins than the Kansas City Chiefs. Well, I have to disagree with that take. Yes. Okay. So uh, here's here's why I disagree with that. And the simple okay. answer is Patrick Mahomes. Patrick Mahomes right now. Okay. So the, the Chiefs lost a couple pieces on defense. He struggled, certainly, Mahomes has through the year. But it's funny because even with all these struggles, and last week was tough. He got the injury. He was struggling before that against the Titans, no question. But he is still operating. Like, instead of being the number one, the best quarterback in the entire NFL, as he has been for the last, what, two and a half seasons or so, he has been operating as the fifth to tenth best quarterback, which I think if you have a decent defense is usually fine, but they have like one of the worst defenses in the, in the entire NFL. At the same time, I, I still think it's too much to ask Carson Wentz, who again has looked healthier, but it's too much to ask Carson Wentz to quarterback the Colts all the way to uh, to more wins than the uh, than the uh, Kansas City Chiefs. I just I can't trust it just yet. I think you trust with the the proven entity in uh, Patrick Mahomes, and I think the Chiefs get it together and and go on a if not a Super Bowl run, a relatively deep run in the AFC this year. Andy, why will the Colts finish with more wins than the Chiefs? I think it's very possible and actually likely. Fanny the Dragon, uh, look at the numbers for Carson Wentz when he's been healthy, which has been rare, granted. 
But since those two weird ankle things got sorted out, the guy hasn't thrown an interception. Look, for since week four, two, four, six, eight touchdowns, zero interceptions. He's getting back in the flow. He's getting back in the groove. The running game is there with him. The offensive line is strong. The defense, while maybe not as, as good as it was before, is good enough right in the middle. They can keep you. They're not going to cost you a game. The Chiefs got, they were reading their own press clippings, right? They were all, we're, we're unstoppable. I'm Patrick Mahomes. I'm going to throw a, a three-quarter pass. Look, I'm going to shovel it. Look how cool I look. Eh, eh. Look what happens now, big boy. You got nothing. Carson Wentz is going to come in, and he's going to just, just shuffle his way on those two bum ankles and beat your butts all the way to the record. And there, it, it, that, that's why it's going to happen. Carson Wentz and that defense over pretty boy Patrick Mahomes. I appreciate wow. you uh, censoring yourself there at the end there, Andy. I did. I, I, wasn't, I couldn't remember what to say. It's, it's trying times. <laughs> and you know, let's not forget that the Chiefs have a historically bad defense uh, right now, too. That is Also that. Helping uh, their case. All right, uh, gentlemen, you both made compelling cases, but we always have to award a winner when it comes to Dragon's Breath. And Fanny herself always picks a winner. Um, Will we see for the first time in Dragon's Breath history that somebody who disagrees with Fanny actually wins Dragon's Breath? Fanny, who wins today's tonight's edition of Dragon's Breath? Yeah, it's Andy. Andy has to win. Sorry, show. Uh, she's <laughs> yeah. very, she's very, she's very petty. Right. She doesn't like anybody to disagree yes, with her. Um, out of all those takes, show which one did you agree with? Can you remind me what they were again? <laughs> uh, well, the first one was William Nylander was going to lead the Maple Leafs in goals and points. Huh. The Browns have a better chance of winning a playoff game with Baker Mayfield than they do. Uh, sorry, with Case Keenum right. than they do with Baker Mayfield, and the Colts will end up with more wins than the Chiefs. So, which of those did I agree with? Yeah, that you had to disagree with. I think uh, the last one. I think the Colts, the Chiefs, good. God, they look like a mess. <laughs> oh my God, what a, I felt like a fraud for saying, "Oh yeah, they're gonna get it together." No, they look. Like, I I don't think they're gonna be like a top a top five team in the NFL draft next year. No, but they're they look so out of sorts. There, there's a real chance the Chiefs don't make the playoffs. Uh, and wow, Andy was the toughest imagine. one for you to kind of say Case Keenum can win the Browns a playoff game and not make Baker. Oh, it, it was because you know I love my Baker. Yep. You know I do. Um, that that was that was tough. Uh, it gives him a better chance. Now, all things being equal, absolutely not. But, you know, if he's playing with a torn shoulder and his arm's falling off. Like, guys, he had a non-contact. So imagine walking around and your shoulder falls out. Look like a Halloween, bad Halloween costume. That's apparently well, what happened. It's non-throwing shoulder. So stop making That's excuses right. for him. Apparently it really hurts. Okay. I'm sure. I'm sure it does. <laughs> I'm sure it does. <laughs> yeah, Tom Brady won the Super Bowl on a torn knee last year. Yeah, that's true. There's no so. No uh, and on his on his actual throwing knees, because he needs both of them to throw. Right, he needs both. <laughs> Not his <laughs> yeah. one throwing knee. Yeah, yeah on his throwing <laughs> knees, plural. Uh, Annie McNamara is the host. Yeah. The fantasy show Sunday morning. Thank That's you. right, show. Until 10 p.m. Great. Sorry, show on uh, this. You know what? I'll, I'll say this. Andy always, whenever we intro the fantasy show, Andy at least says, you're listening to the fantasy show, Andy and show. So he doesn't even say the word host. So, Andy, you better not change that on Sunday. Ooh, I'm, just telling, I'm telling you right wow. now. Wow. Yeah. He'll turn. He'll turn. Absolutely. Like uh, Andy, thanks for this, pal. <laughs> All right, buddy. I'll talk to you guys later. See Sounds you, good. Um, he does great work. You do good uh, work with him as well on the show. Uh, do you he does great work, and I do good work. Thanks. Here we go. Co-host, host. Good Why and great. Why are you so sensitive all of a sudden? You both do great work. I just literally said you both do great I'm work. I'm very insecure, George. 
Okay, I guess. Um, I apologize that you are insecure. <laughs> um, let's wrap up the poll question. Okay. Uh, which former prominent Toronto sports sports figure would you like to see win a championship? Alex Anthopoulos, DeMar DeRozan, Zach Hyman, Kyle Lowry. Eked out a win. DeMar, 38.4% of our votes. 677 people weighed in on our poll. Your vote came through. DeMar DeRozan, you want to see DeMar win a championship. And our listeners agree with you. Yeah, I think, because I was, I was kind of looking at the results, George, over the, course of the, over the course of the evening, and it looks like the person who ended up making up more ground in terms of, like, more share of the vote was actually Kyle Lowry. I yeah. think Lowry ended up eking out, I want to say, like, another, like, what, 2 to 3%. But, like, for, at 7 o'clock, it was much less than this, right? So Lowry yeah. and DeRozan as the, I know Anthopolis ended up in second place but people i guess despite lowry's departure and despite him already winning winning a ring here people still have uh, enough love for lowry that it allowed uh demar to still stay ahead there do you think i would have got more votes if i would put freddie anderson instead of zach hyman that's a great question i th- you know i think you would have gotten more votes if you had put like nazim kadri no i don't you know like, so. i mean instead of hyman i mean I think there's a lot of bitterness still with Nazem Kadri, how he kept getting suspended for the Leafs. The, like, the only reason I think Kadri got as low as he did is because people people love Kadri, and there's no question, but people look at Kadri and say, well, if he wins, it means the Oilers win, and no one in Toronto wants that. Okay, I don't know why people hate on the Oilers so much. Like, there's no rivalry between the No, <laughs> there isn't. They're just right. Canadian teams, big deal. Ooh, that, oil, that rivalry with the Edmonton Oilers. Show, this was fun, pal. Let's do it again soon. Yeah, you and I are on on Monday night, so I'll talk to you on Monday, man. Yes, Monday night. That's right, no World Series. Yeah. And we'll see what's going on Tuesday and Wednesday as well. I'm looking forward to Monday. I'm looking forward to Saturday. On with Matt Marchese as well. That's it for us. Sportsnet tonight, big thanks to Jerem Manitat, our producer, and Danielle Furtado who does a fantastic job operating the show. That's it for us. We'll talk to you later. CBS Sports will watch you while you sleep.